welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is Teaching to the Creed, Module 2.0, Character and Competence. Today's episode is going to be with Doc. Uh, he has appeared on episodes 46 and 48. If you want to go back and get some more information and familiarity with Doc, uh, he is a chief and he is an independent duty corpsman and an all-around great guy who I served with. And uh, character and competence was one that I, I wanted to talk specifically to a first year chief, which Doc is this year. I mean, really a year and a half at this point, but it's a it was a it was a pretty long year in a way. So the learning outcome upon completion of this block of instruction, the student will have a clear understanding of how having character and competence will assist you in becoming an effective leader and be able to anticipate changes in culture, leadership, systems, and behaviors within the organization. The student will be equipped with leadership skills to inspire their teams to perform at or near their theoretical limits. By making their team stronger, they relentlessly chase best ever performance and determine relationships with the Chief's Petty Officer Creed. Learning objectives discuss the importance of character and competence in the organization as it relates to the Navy Leader Development Framework and the CPO Creed. Define and discuss challenge and how it relates to the CPO Creed. Analyze and discuss the definition of character and competency and how it relates to Chief Petty Officers in leading juniors, peers, and senior personnel. Discuss in the group room how navigating the seven C's applies to character development and how it will strengthen our ability to always behave consistently with our core values of honor, courage, and commitment. Discuss in the group room how navigating the seven C's applies to developing competence and how it will strengthen our operational and warfighting competence and become more skilled at our jobs as we grow. Curriculum development references. Laying the Keel, May 2019, Navy Leader Development Framework, version 3.0, May 2019, and Navigating the Seven Seas, a book by Melvin G. Williams, Sr. and Jr., published in 2011. So just to introduce this topic, as I mentioned, me and Doc got to talk about character and competence in a way that I was pretty excited to do. It's obviously very important. It's something we hold near and dear. And we dove very deep into all the all the pieces of it as reflected in the creed and as uh, delineated by the lesson plan. We also gotten just got to discuss a lot of different things in relation to it as an overall concept. And I was really excited to do with him. I hope you get a lot out of it. Here we go. All right. So uh, back for character and competence. This one's with Doc, who has been in previous episodes. Uh, How you doing? talked yeah talked about it in the intro so go back and check out uh his episode and background and such so i will quickly recap the objectives stated in the intro so we're going to talk about character and competence in the organization and how it re- relates to the the creed excerpt i'm about to read and then everything that chiefs do and then we'll discuss the navigating the seven seas book which i'm a, I'm a huge fan that they picked that book because it's a book i've read a couple of times and i'm a, I'm a giant fan of and if you pick the book up, there's a cook mass chief that helped write it. So that's one of the reasons I'm just being loyal to my, my set. Uh, yeah, big old, old fanboy. <laughs> so I'll read the uh, excerpt from the creed now. So our intent was to impress upon you that challenge is good, a great necessary reality, which cannot mar you, which in fact strengthens you In your future as a chief petty officer, you will be forced to endure adversity far beyond what has thus far been imposed upon you. You must face each challenge and adversity with the same dignity and good grace you have already demonstrated. 
So that's the excerpt that we'll be kind of examining as we go through uh, this lesson. So, Doc, I'm going to pose pose the first question for you. Uh, and it's well, these are going to be discussing little pieces out of that mostly. But what does this mean? So you must face each challenge and adversity with dignity and grace. So I think what I think the big takeaway from that is, um, you know, you like I'm sure a lot of people have have had those leaders that react in a very emotional and ira- sometimes irrational way where bad news is is really just like the, the worst thing that could ever happen to them. <laughs> right. um, and I think that it's important that the, our, our job's not the easiest job in the entire world. And it's important that we not, not only, not only face these challenges with uh, like it says, dignity and grace, we're not going to roll over and let that kind of be the end of our day, but yeah. we got to, you know, we kind of have to embrace that and uh, know that it's going to, you know, we're, we're going to grow from these challenges and this adversity and you know the the mission's not going to get done if we're sitting there stewing and dwelling on the fact that it's uh you know this is this is too hard this is you know this is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to us you know we we really don't right. have the luxury of that in in our line of work yeah and i think too like we talked the one i just recorded and, and mike's head spinning cuz i'm recording a lot right now but the one i just talked to i think it was jeff about was it one of the points we we hit on was basically the concept that you're always being watched. Right. And that's important because like a lot of people assumed rightly so for a long time. And I, and I think it's still there, but I think it's been marred, if you will, <laughs> the like innate respect that comes with donning khakis and anchors and a combo cover, right? Like yeah. there's kind of like a baseline entry level amount of respect that, when a chief enters a room and they're an unknown to you, you just uh, apply that to that person based on the fact that they're a chief. And it, the, it for each person, I'm sure it varies like how much, <laughs> like where that marker is for that baseline level of respect based on their experience with chiefs. And that's, it's important to realize that going in because the, the level of respect, the organization as a whole, and that a chief, any chief, fair or not, based on an actual judgment of that person's character and past performance and everything else is going a lot of that's going to be based on that individual sailor's interaction with all the other chiefs they've ever encountered. Right. So it's, yep. it's one of those, like, it's not, I got to ask this question once at a, it was back when it was CPO 365. And, um, I was, it was a big group. We were doing it with a recruiting district and a buddy asked me to speak. And, um, I, so I was standing in front of like 50 first classes and, one of them asked me, like, how do you um, how do you as a chief that is like for the sake of the discussion, like they, it's not like they knew me enough to pass judgment or not. But like assuming you're doing it all right, right, like you're putting in the work and you're carrying the the you're being a good steward of chief petty officers. How do you handle and how do you like deal with the repercussions of like chief misconduct or like somebody that's a toxic leader uh, and is is doing damage to that reputation and that image of chiefs? Right. And that's kind of like you just you just bear the weight like it's it's one of those like it's kind of like that Batman quote, like live long enough to be the villain. It's like I know that's not just a Batman quote. It's like from something smart that I haven't read. But like um, <laughs> you, you, you uh, there's going to be times where I understand that 
part of what comes along with being a chief. The reason why we say earn your anchors every day, the reason why we say those anchors are heavy and, and there's a burden to bear with that is because there is. And it's like the legacy of chiefs isn't just Peter Tomich and, and all the famous stories that we have to associate with the good things. Yeah. It's the legacy is also a bunch of Navy times covers, right? It's a bunch of people that didn't make it to that level of notoriety, but that had a really negative impact on those sailors. It's like you enter a new leadership position as an LCPO. Like it's your first day. You got your bright, shiny anchors and starch khakis on. And you're staring at a bunch of sailors that are like, Oh, fresh meat. You know, like this guy doesn't know our girl doesn't know what they're getting themselves into. And it's because they probably had negative interactions with chiefs. And so that's a thing that you, you can't sit there and like dwell on the fact that it's not fair because you're a good leader and you're doing everything right. And all you want to do is help your sailors and you didn't do anything to wrong these sailors. It's like, yeah, you did. And it's not like you as the individual, but chiefs, chiefs did and you're a chief now and so you gotta take ownership of that part of the legacy it's like it's unfortunate that it exists and i want to do everything i possibly can to stamp that out but we're never going to be perfect and there's always going to be a certain level of that that we have to pick up and carry right along with the absolutely yeah there's um just yeah it's um it's really easy to associate i mean we've i think we've talked about this before but uh somebody does something wrong uh, out in town and the news covers it. It doesn't say, you know, this person or this this individual, it says United States Navy sailor or right. United States Navy chief did this. And uh, to, you know, to kind of echo your point, so many, um, you, you really learn a ton from the bad leaders. Uh, you learn a lot from the good leaders, but you learn a ton from the bad leaders. Yeah. And there's there's definitely a, a huge association with negativity um when you when you experience it you don't forget you don't you may forget what they did but you'll never forget how they made you feel yeah. and i think in a lot of cases um like you said we're we're kind of dealing with the outward ripple effect of that catalyst in the middle of it no matter how much fame you have they're going to remember you for your infamy you know right and and it's like the a lot of fresh boot chiefs think that they're walking into the mess as like these clean, for lack of a better word, like virgin chiefs. Like, yeah. like I've there's no stain on these khakis. Like I've never, you know, what I mean, like they're starting with this fresh slate, and it's kind of a setup in a way, like where it's no, you're not. You're like you're not starting with a completely clean slate. You're starting with our slate. You're, start, you're starting with the the chief's mess at largest slate. And it's like it's easy to get caught up in like the romanticized idea and all the heritage and all the really great stuff because it's great. It's cool. It's like I'm I'm incredibly proud to be part of this story. I like I've, I said on the last one I recorded that I'm standing in a room where it looks like John Paul Jones vomited all over the walls like I have I have collectibles and I got to post pictures of this because I keep telling people about it on episodes. I'm going to post a bunch of pictures of the studio when I'm done, but it's like I collect a lot of Naval heritage things where it's just like cook stuff and chief stuff and just normal Navy stuff and, and submarine dolphins. I have a whole case full of old submarine dolphins and just like some of it's my stuff. Like 
fish that I cut off my old utilities and type ones. And then other stuff like I have the fish I got pinned with. I have my name engraved in the back. But the rest of them are just fish that I've collected and some other cool pins and all combo cover anchors. Like it's freaking ridiculous. All my it's like an I love me wall slash museum in here. Yeah. And that's it's because I'm so proud of that stuff. And I'm it's incredible to me that I'm part of the story that like I'm doing effectively the same thing or I'm a continuation of the same thing as this cookbook I've got. It's the Navy cookbook. It's basically the Armed Forces Recipe Service. And the first edition, I got two first editions sitting on this bookshelf that are from 1908, I believe. Holy and I've crap. yeah, and I've got this these books that are over 100 years old. I was reading out of a Blue Jackets manual from 1916 on one of the episodes. Like it's I, but I'm touching that and I'm feeling that and I'm looking at it. It's got a guy's name inscribed inside the cover. Guys from Boston, like it's 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 weird to me that I'm I'm part of that. Like I'm, this is I'm a continuation of that story, and it's really easy to get caught up in this romanticized vision of well, this is what the Navy is, and this is what being a cook is, and this is what being a chief in a submariner is and it's like it is it's but it's part of it and it's the good yeah. part of it and i like to focus on the good part of it but I, it's like you also have to spend time examining the bad part like you got to spend time reading the articles about chief misconduct you got to spend time doing research on like we had a mcpon effectively get fired like that's a big deal and you should explore that read those articles see what he did what he didn't do examine how he explained it like there's lessons to be pulled from that but you at least have to understand that that's a real thing and that that's a a burden that you carry and you're not walking in day one with a clean slate you're walking in with our slate and that is a thing you need to understand to be an effective chief because you need to understand what these junior sailors are looking at you and seeing like, well, yeah, they I mean, it it doesn't. And I remember back to some of the some of the bad chiefs that I had coming up in the Navy. And, um, you know, there are there are times that I catch I I mean, admittedly, I catch myself kind of doing some of the same things or similar things. Maybe not the maybe not the negative stuff that I was like, oh, man, I never right, want to do that. Right. But the same tendencies, um, for example, I had one chief that used to say, I, I get it all the time. Yeah. And she would always say, <laughs> but with that be, tone, like, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like a condescension. Was, yeah. You would, you would get in, you'd go in there and address, you'd bring up these problems with her. And, uh, she'd say, I get it. I get yeah. it. I get, and yeah. I found myself, <laughs> I found myself doing exactly that. It wasn't <sighs> in a kind, I don't, don't you think feel it was in a dirty when you do it too, when you I realize do. it. God, I'm like, oh I feel gosh, like I need it's a like, shower when I do that. <laughs> Well, it's like when you when you catch yourself, you know, saying like as a as a young adult, you're like, I'll never be like my parents. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you later on, you I, I've got <laughs> walking around, you know, house, I've got shutting off light switches. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, gosh, you know, the electricity doesn't grow on trees here. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm turning into my father. You know? Yeah, like, I, I have conversations like that with my wife where I'm just like, I yeah, I talk about that a lot. Like, I definitely did that. Um, I think weirdly. Part of it was the environment I made chief in, but I think I did more of that as an LPO where I like I found myself in this position of authority. And I I was kind of I was basically running the division. I had a chief that was he's a great guy and a terrible chief. Like he was I I still love the man to this day, but um, he was a god awful chief in leading CS. So I was kind of trying to put it on my back because that's how I was. And um, so I was doing a lot of the I, I completely ran the division. I mean, the guy was in the smoke pit playing Candy Crush. So it was like. I was doing everything. And I mean, I don't know if that was real back then, but it probably was something like that. Angry, angry birds, I think was a thing. So there you go. Um, 
but it was I did a lot of yelling and screaming and just like beat them into submission kind of like coercive leadership and I that was exactly what I said I wasn't going to do so yeah yeah and I think we've we've kind of started to scratch the surface on this but uh as a team and as an individual, how important is character and competence in being adaptable to traditions, systems, and policies when it states you must face each challenge and adversity? So I I will admit this one was kind of this one was kind of challenging for me. Yeah, it's um, an interesting question. It's it's really I mean it really is. It's um you know because there's two different very distinct components in that. And you talk about character, right? Character in some cases is going to be like, well, we're not going to blaze off maintenance. You know, mm. we're going to do this the right way. Yeah. And then you've got competence, which is a, almost completely unique or or completely separate from character, right? You can have you can be competent, but have a terrible character. Yeah. Uh, you could be you could be the greatest, most, you know, moral, upstanding human being in the world, but you're you cannot turn a screw with a screwdriver, you know? <laughs> But I think that it's important that, you know, adapting, um, you know, I, I like just as an individual, right, you have to you have to kind of recognize, I think, where your competencies fall short. You know, hopefully we I mean, ideally, we all have this upstanding good character and, you know, we're, we're going to do the right thing. But as a chief, as a leader, because really we're all leaders in here, we have to we have to kind of promote that team you know, that hive mind set where we're, you know, we're going to execute the mission. We're yeah. going to, we're going to meet these objectives, um, borrowing from strengths and weaknesses and, and, um, you know, kind of developing a, a group character where, Hey, we're, we're going to do this right because this is what we do. Right. Um, and I think that you can kind of apply that in a broad strokes approach to just about anything. Um, you know, for a really good example I have is, um, is our auxiliary division on used to fish. Yeah. And they weren't always perfect. Um, <laughs> but I feel like when we had that, you know, the new uh, auxiliary division chief come on board mm-hmm. that it became more of a cohesive yeah. uh, us versus the world type thing. And uh, not everyone knew how to do everything, but everyone was going to really try their hardest and do the right thing. Um, yeah. and raise their hand if you if they didn't know or raise their hand if they made a mistake and i think that that's you know kind of our role in in this um is you you have to for i mean it says as a team and as an individual like as yeah. uh, the the team is only as strong as its weakest individual and if you don't get the individual buy in then the team isn't going to be fully bought in either right so uh, yeah there's a lot in that in this question so like as a team and as an individual how important is character and competence in being adaptable to traditions, systems, and policies when it states you must face each challenge and adversity? So I'm looking at this like, as, as you're going into it, it, character and competence being the focus of the lesson, right? And you did a great job of describing kind of what those are generally. So in being adaptable to traditions, systems, and policies, it's like the way I'm looking at this question is as you go into things like initiation, which is a tradition, or you could even look like dolphin qualification process as a tradition, Um, because in our community, at least it definitely is. There's a lot of tradition that goes along with submarine qualifications. So, or systems or policies when we're talking about like, just like the advancement system or, or policies you find in a book about PCS or whatever, or any NJP, UCMJ, that kind of stuff. 
when you're looking at it, there's going to be a lot of things within those tradition systems and policies that are going to create challenges and cause a leader as an individual or a team to face adversity, right? And so when you're becoming adaptable to that, right? Like when you're figuring out how you're going to face that challenge or adversity, like what are you going to do to to conquer this or go around the obstacle or whatever the challenger or the adversity is, like how you're going to get through it and get a good result and be the best leader you can for that sailor or that group of sailors as you navigate this this challenger or adversity. It's like character and competence are going to be a huge piece of how you do that and how yeah. how each individual or team does it differently, right? Because like you were saying, you could have a leader that is like, super competent knows the book but is completely devoid of character and they're going to do a way different job <laughs> like like probably pretty poor job that is more self-serving than it is uh full of humility and, and all about taking care of the sailors because they don't have any, they don't have any character or they have low character or whatever right um so the two things being well developed and understood being character and competence is it's going to be incredibly important for you as you try to navigate those things. And I think we see a lot of it like in the tradition of initiation, right? Where it's like, when there's a lack of character present present, and sometimes competence, you see seasons getting shut down because well, yeah. some dummy's drunk and he decides to do something stupid with some selectees. And the selectees listen because they're, you know, trying to conform to the the system or tradition. And it's like, God, you, like you end up on the cover of the Navy Times or you end up with a safety stand down or you end up with some kind of halt to the season while we remediate whatever happened and let everybody know. That, figure out. Yeah. Figure out what happened. Yeah. And, and well, there, there's, there's an inherent vulnerability there though, too. Sure. I, it was not that long ago that I was a selectee myself yeah. and you get kind of at, kind of used to, or I, I guess maybe not used to, but you do kind of put that questioning attitude on hold for a little bit. A little bit. bit. You, know, you push. Yeah. It's there's like yeah, a fear and I think, that's, and I think like you're a, supposed to. Yeah. Well, I think you're supposed to. I, you know, when I, I'll tell you, when I went through this first couple of first period of time during the season, you know, I, I don't know that I really had that, uh, the right attitude. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I just came off a boat. I'm used to doing things by myself. Yeah. And so there was a learning curve there for me, but. You know, it was um, one of those like I wasn't pushing the I believe button because yeah. I felt like I already knew it. And then there was a there was definitely a paradigm shift where I was I forgot how to human. I forgot how to adult. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what the heck happened to me? Yeah. You know? And um, I think that there's an inherent vulnerability there where, you know, like like you said, you got that almost that innate um, respect. And when the chief tells you to do something, you're going to do it because, yeah. I don't know if this person's competent or if their character is in line with mine, but they're a chief and I assume that they're, they got my best right. interests there's, or the mission. First, there's an assumed know? trust during the process that it's like uh, character and competence has to be present for that to go right. Or you end up yep. with seasons getting shut down. Right. So it's like, that's why it's so important in, in the application of that system or tradition, uh, when we're talking about initiation is like, you're right. It's like the selectees walk into this room full of chiefs and the premise of initiation being that like, you have to do all these things before you're allowed to be a chief in a way, which is I'm almost surprised that we went back to the term initiation because I feel like the, the implication of that word almost makes it sound like you have to earn your right to be a part of the organization. And 
in reality, like you've already been selected, like that already happened. You're just being trained. And that it's funny because we talk about it like, oh, it's just it's a training evolution. Well, then why? Why are we calling it why initiation? Are we, now? Why are we? Yeah. Because, you know, why initiation initiation conjures up images of like paddles yeah, and yeah. like uh, mascot heads and being coated in some, you know, questionable yeah. like, substances and stuff. <laughs> but really all, it, all this is, is it's right. You know, we, I like how they sometimes call it indoctrination, which also can carry its own kind of negative connotations to yeah. it. But I think it is, we, I mean, we've got all the postlicks, like the petty officers select the leadership course. We've got a CPO in doc. Uh, I think that, you know, the terminology, I think can be, can be changed, yeah. can be improved, can be, you know, reworded. You know. Right. Yeah. But I just like going into it, I think that that is like how people perceive the initiation season from the outside looking in so that when you find yourself there, it's almost like you devolve back to this like, oh, this is what we're doing. I have to go through an initiation process before I get to put my my khakis and my anchors on. So it's like they you're you kind of do shut your brain off a little bit in that department where it's like. Like, I'm not going to have the same questioning attitude all the time, and I'm not going to challenge what they're telling me to do all the time, which is hilarious because a lot of times it's what we want you to do. And so that's why you generally see the first three or four weeks going terribly wrong for that group of selectees. And then they snap out of it and start figuring it out, and you know, becoming Uh, cohesive (laughs) usually. Yeah. But but you got to wonder if that's their starting point. And we created the, the construct that like makes that starting point reality. It's like, why are we starting them off in the wrong place? Like, are we creating an image and a culture where they're kind of starting off in the wrong mental headspace that if we didn't do that, then when they're at the beginning of the indoctrination season or whatever we want to call it, like how, and however we want to start to deconstruct that, that misconception, it's like, Cause that's not what we want. Like I, like I can tell you sitting across the table as a senior chief, that has been doing this forever. I don't want you to come in with that brain, that part of your brain shut off. It like, it makes things more difficult. It makes me getting through to you more difficult. It makes me getting across what I need to get across before pinning day more difficult. Yep. So why would I want that? So it's, it's like, it doesn't make sense, but I feel like you're right when you say that they kind of come in. Cause I feel like I did that too. I came in and I was just like, it was almost like I got brain wiped and I just was like standing by for <laughs> standing by for upload. Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, especially in my mess right now where um, I've known most of these people for a lot of years and, you know, my, my community is very small. I know, you know, I've known the majority of my the majority of my chief's mess for a number of years now, yeah. but going into it as, as a selectee, as a, it was like, I, I know these people. Why am I having such a hard right. time talking to right. them? Like I like people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is strange. It's, it really is. <laughs> so when we look at the sailors creed, how does the CPO creed support or complement the sailors creed and vice versa? Like how do they interrelate and, compliment each other and i'm gonna add like or not because there's like we talked about before we started recording there's parts of it that i feel differ quite a bit so there are a lot of kind of glaring contrasts between the two of them before we i think before we started recording i kind of mentioned that i I thought this the cpo creed is more or less like a hey this is 
hey, welcome to the end of the uh, welcome to the end of the line. This is what all of this was about, but you're going to be facing some of these things. Yeah. And you know, I think I think that the CPO creed, I don't know, it, it's based on or like it uses the sailor's creed as a foundational thing. Um, at the end of the day, we're all sailors, um, regardless of whether we're chiefs or E7s or whatever. But I think that the the chief's creed is supported by the sailor's creed. And I think that the chief's creed is a little bit more niche than the sailor's creed is. Um, yeah. I think it's a little more like it's, it's a different thing entirely in that it, it, it's not structured the same way. If you think about the sailor's creed, like you talk every single sentence, I am a United States sailor. I will support and defend the constitution. Yeah. So it's like, you're making a statement about what your creed is or in some cases, it's like what our creed is as an organization. Like, I think I forget which yes. one. Somebody was reading like the Rangers creed to me or some, or some other creed where it's like we and we everything was we, we, we. And so when you look at uh, the Chiefs creed, it's it's completely different. Like it's it's just a bunch of paragraphs of like dialogue almost where it's making statements about Chiefs as an organization, which creeds do. But it's it's not structured in that way where it's very definitive statements about who we are and what we're about. There There's some of that in there, but there's some other stuff that it's not so clear. They're not clear, decisive, definitive statements. They're more vague, like allowing you to kind of read into what they mean or or interpret what they mean instead of knowing note like I, I come away from reading the Sailor's Creed knowing exactly what they mean. Um, and not not that there's not any room for interpretation in certain scenarios, but it's like, yeah, it, they're very different in structure. I would say that the parts that I don't think complement each other are those things where they kind of veer off from like the Sailor's Creed is very clear. Um, and I, I think we've built a pretty successful organization on those principles, but it's yep. not like the Chief's Creed it's not, it doesn't resonate the same way. I don't, I don't feel like we all identify with every piece, every piece of it the same way because like I, I would bet money that most sailors and I, I'm going to say most, because as you get senior, if you're not like, if you catch an FT two at the end of their first tour on a submarine, you know, I bet you a dollar. They can't, they can't recite the sailors creed. I couldn't like at the end of my first tour on a submarine. But when I went to that first shore duty, we did it every Wednesday at quarters and then every sail of the quarter aboard I went to. And then I was prepping people. For, so, so, so it was like we said it all the time. So by the end of that first shore duty, I, I it was back and then I made chief and Jesus like it's scarred into my brain now. But it's yep. I bet you most sailors can recite the sailors creed without much trouble. I bet you there's probably a handful of chiefs in the world that can recite the whole chief's creed with no issue. Like I can recite, I, I recite excerpts from it, but I'm not even I, I can't. I mean, if you're looking for a Kool-Aid drink and true believer, you found one and I can't do it. Yeah, well, it's it's really long it, and I've got it, it up is. here on my phone. Yeah, it, you know, I've got it up here on my phone and I'm looking at this and, you know, just there's you know, like, like you were saying, the Sailor's Creed is is a I don't know. It feels a little bit more personal. Yeah. With the with the CPO creed, it's like your responsibilities and privileges do not appear in print. It's more of a there's advisory elements to it. It's um, there's a lot of advisory stuff. Yeah, like you're it's, you're going to be forced to endure adversity far beyond what has yeah. thus been imposed on you. Well, you could derive that uh, excerpts like that are kind of you know are supported by the Sailor's Creed 
core values of Vonner yeah. Courage commitment, you know? And, and I almost feel like it, as you, as you're reading some of it, at least I take some of it to, it's almost sounds like the end of a pinning script. You know what I mean? Like yeah. where somebody wrote a really yeah. great end to a pinning script and somebody's like, you know what? We should use that. <laughs> but like, it's- I feel like you could distill it down into a lot. Like there's there again, there's goodness in it. Like I, there's things I really, Oh, there's, there's a, things I really love. There's a ton of great stuff. Yeah, There's in a, there. things I really love in there, but there's also some things that make me scratch my head. And so I feel like, and, and, when you listen to um, the one I did with Dan, the NSW tech, we did credibility of a chief. I think that's the third module. I can't remember which number that is. Um, but he talks about that in relation to the 1918, which I read it out of a 1916 Blue Jacket manual because I have one. But it's from a 1918 Blue Jacket manual. It's this article about it's called like a sit down with a chief or a, a short discussion with a chief or something like that. And uh at the end, there's these summary bullet points that he was like, what that right? Those five points right there could be effectively the chief's creed. And I was just like, and he read them off in a way that you're just like, I, you got my vote, man. Like, that sounds good to me <laughs> Like, because he's not wrong. And like, and it's it's they're very much formatted in a way that they would make perfect statements which I mean, I you might want to add or subtract. Like I don't know. Like I'd have to sit down and really think about it to make sure that all of our core values that we want as part of the organization that is the Chiefs mess in there. But it was a pretty great start. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I feel like that's almost like somebody copy and pasted the end of a really amazing pinning script and said, "This is our Chiefs creed." And it's like not that that's all bad. Like there's some really great stuff in there. But I feel like it would be more personal. It would resonate more with individual chiefs and the whole organization. If it was something that was a little more clear, concise, direct and, and digestible, I guess is like that. I I would love it if every chief knew the chief's creed off the top of their head, but that you're right. That's a, that's yeah. a beast. Like I'm sure I could do it, but it would take me a minute. <laughs> and like I, uh, it's a, it's a lot to memorize. And I, but, and I, I feel like it's a thing that should be memorized. I feel like it's important. Yeah. But yeah. So in regards to the creeds, how do we respect our junior personnel? Do we address them by their first name, last name or rank and last name, which is appropriate and why? This is kind of this is kind of interesting. It seems a it's little, a little specific. Yeah. But OK, like we can talk about it. I, yeah. Well, um, you know, being a uh, hospital corpsman, I've worked in, uh, you know, I've worked in a, my share of uh, MTFs and it never fails. You can always tell the ones the. uh you know, the nurse corps officers or the medical corps officers or insert, you know, insert full grown up, like licensed medical person, you know, right. here. And you can always tell the ones that have been in a little bit longer or went, you know, there's, and again, this is not me discrediting anybody's, you know, anybody's journey here, but there was a difference between the ones that did some ROTC in college and the ones that went from nursing school to, uh, working in, in hospitals, there's always, you know, kind of an element of, um, you know, some some of the medical professionals that are, you know, may, maybe haven't fully bought into the, the military uh, customs and courtesies thing. And you'll hear you'll hear a, uh, a, a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander refer to a hospital men apprentice or a hospital man as Tom, Dick or Harry. And it's not a, I, I would correct it when I could. And then you get a you know, full bird captain, you know, this brilliant doctor walks in and says, Hey, how you doing? I'm Henry. And you're like, Oh, I'm H and two 
so-and-so. And, um, you know, I, I think that the military operates, uh, very well on customs and courtesies. Um, it maintains good order and discipline. I 100% agree and buy into that. Um, I think that there is a time and a place based off of the context of the conversation where maybe more appropriate to refer to a junior sailor by their first name or their last name. Um, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to sit there as a, as a, corpsman on a submarine as somebody's primary care manager, um, they, I'm not going to sit there and refer to them as, you know, MMN2 or FT2 when they're talking to me about how their dad just passed away. You know, right? I think that, but in the course of our daily operations and our, our day-to-day duties and responsibilities and things, I think that is, it is our job to maintain those customs and those courtesies. And I think that yeah. it is important to to, to maintain, um, a level of formality and, and professionalism because at, at the end of the day, you know, we are a professional organization. We are, we, there is a reason we do the things that we do. And the reason that we are good at what we do is because yeah. we kind of held on to those, those customs and courtesies. And I, I always liked how on the submarine kind of got a little bit more, informal, a little bit more personal because, you know, it's 165 people trapped in a tube for months on end. So it kind of comes down to that context thing, but, and you'll see it a lot in like the chief's quarters where inside the mess, you're referring to each other by your first name. And then you get Mm -hmm. out to, you get out to the deck plates and you really have to remind each other like, Hey, you, you can't use my first name in front of, you know, HM2 or, uh, fireman so-and-so or, right. you know, petty officer, whoever, um, because we have a standard that we have to maintain and we have those formalities that we have to preserve. Yeah. And it, I don't know, I go back and forth about it because I talked to, so I talked to Nick and I talked to that NSW tech about how things work in those communities. And it's, it's very first name basis with everybody in in a lot of ways. And it doesn't seem to inhibit their ability to operate in a lot of ways it seems to probably help by i don't know bringing them closer as a team whatever but so i I go back and forth about like how important is it really but i i still i'm still not there yet where i'm like a, a believer in that one is better than the other or really or that less formality is is better than more right where I think there's a happy medium somewhere. And I think we were pretty close to it on submarines where it's like we were really close, but it was still like, I think a lot of times, like for me, I was calling guys by their last name be like, Hey Smith, come here. Like I'm, cause I'm not going to say Seaman Smith every single time I say somebody's no. name, especially when we're on a watch team every day together for eight hours. Like I'm either going to call him by his the watch station, like FTOW, or I'm going to say their last name. Um, yeah. And, well, I, or like sir, that, ma'am, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings up a good point because we have those, those, uh, the IC manual and, and, uh, formal comms and everything, right. especially on watch on the submarine. So you're not even referring to that person by their rate and their last name. You're referring to not, them by yeah, the watch. Station, not on watch. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, and I think in some cases it be, it does become a hindrance or a barrier to communication. I mean, some, some ratings have three, you know, three letters in there and they're not, they don't, exactly roll off the tongue very yeah. well. You know? I'm not getting mad at anybody for not saying CSSCS because it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, I think the the problem becomes the when the first name basis, if it exists in, a, in an organization turning into 
like undo unduly familiar, right? Where yeah. it's like even if it's not a romantic relationship, when you get it's, to unduly familiar, you get to like accusations of favoritism and like uh or or they're out to get me or all kinds of other different weird interpersonal relationship problems where it's like when you don't have a personal relationship, you don't really have that problem so much um, where it's just a professional relationship. And it's hard to not like to, to try to say that I don't have a personal relationship with every single person on a submarine is insane to me. But at the yeah. same time, it's like you're maintaining a boundary within that relationship because, you know, I'd lay down in traffic for every one of those people because that's how that works. If I thought it was in their best interest, not just because they said, hey, go lay down in traffic. But well, the point, yeah, I the mean, point being, because <laughs> they, like, hey, they would, they would test wanna, that You want to talk offline after this? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I think the, the you get to a, you would get to a place where there's just a complete lack of good or discipline and the organization is going to become completely ineffective. And um, I agree because I think, I think e- even even inside of like NSW or EOD communities, it's like they are still maintaining certain boundaries within their interpersonal relationships. I think the lines are probably in different places and blurry, but I think that based on their mission set, it works. Like I think based on other organizations, mission sets and other organizations structure and size, it probably wouldn't, you know, and it'd probably be detrimental. Yeah. You, you see the movies or the documentaries or whatever. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think that there is a benefit in some of those cases, but you also kind of have to consider the consider the source too. Um, you know, a lot of these the SO community, a lot of those guys are those they're very very professional. They recognize and they yeah. kind of they do hold each other accountable, at least from the ones that I've met and seen. But uh, you know, they they focus their attentions and their priorities on different things. So you'll you'll see long hair, you'll see beards, you'll see jerry and bill but uh you also won't see them talking back to somebody yeah. you know you also you yeah. won't see them you won't see them complaining about the the bs stuff that they have to do you right. know they're gonna go oh well oh okay we have to go and do this thing that nobody wants to do and they're like they're all for it because you know mike told them to do it and you know mike's you know mike's a you know hard charger and he's we're gonna follow mike you know yeah but I think that, you know, I, I think it there is a, a time and a place for it. I think that there is, um, you know, there there is room for kind of that informality, especially when you're a leader and especially when, you know, you you want to kind of foster that approachability thing. But you don't you also there there's a fine line and it's a balance and you have to make yeah. sure that you're not kind of opening the door to having somebody running around the ship calling the captain by his first name yeah and it, and i think it's an illustration of how it can it can work and how it cannot work is so like the next couple of questions is how do we address each other as chiefs and it, the answer you already mentioned is in the mess we address each other by our first name and the the point of that is to like foster this concept of like a, a, a fraternity or a, a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a family or however you want to describe it where it's I'm not just your coworker, like I'm your brother or sister, and that's when we're a family and we we work together to to get things done, and that's but that's how close we're supposed to be conceptually. And then it says, when is it appropriate to use first names, if ever? It's like I think in that setting it is appropriate, but I also think that you gotta you gotta build in that mechanism of accountability where 
let's say, for instance, for you, right? Like you call me by my first name and that's completely acceptable. But you also understand that if if something if push came to shove, I will 100 percent take you down a couple notches because I mean, it's ha- not just because it's happened in real life when you were still first class, but like, you know, for a fact, based on our relationship from in beginning to now, that even wearing anchors, like I will 1000% melt your face off if that situation and your actions warrant it. Um, Absolutely. And that's, and that is the expectation. Right. Um, and it, and that's just, what it needs to be like that. It ha- yeah. there has to be an expectation that that type of accountability is still real within the normal naval rank structure, even though we're in this subcategory where we're allowed to call each other by our first names, if that makes well, sense. Well, yeah. And like and like you were saying, it is a it is a fraternity. It is a you know it's it's supposed to at least it's supposed to be like that. Um, You know, a unified a unified mess. But when we walk out of that that uh, goat locker door, you're you're still the senior chief, and I'm still the chief. And you're you know if you're my if you're my superior, you know you kind of dictate policy, and I execute policy. And here's and that's the way that's the way it should be. Here's the thing too, though, because I I think that. There still needs to be, even with when we're in the mess and the door is closed, uh, and it might be written somewhere in this lesson plan. That might be where I've seen it because that's what I've been spending a lot of time going over, or I saw it written somewhere else. I'm not sure, but it's like every chief has a voice in the mess, but we're not the same. Like there's still a rank structure, there's still seniority, even within like the mess that I came up in as a, as a new chief. It was like it was very well communicated and and I understood that with when the doors close, like, yes, I'm a chief in the mess and yes, I have a voice, but I am the most junior voice in the room. And that the, I, like there are chiefs like, and I don't mean like the, the group, I mean like an E seven CPO chief that has been a chief for eight years and is on his second LCPO tour and has been in the Navy for 22 years he I'm not the same as him. Like he's senior to me. He's on his second chief tour. He has a lot of things to teach me and he can hold me accountable and tell me when I'm being an idiot. And, and I expect that to happen. And I would want that to happen in, in any mess that I'm in is that that peer to peer accountability happens. But there's also there's this and this might be controversial, controversial with some people, but uh, assuming that I'm medically cleared and I go back to be a cob. When I'm on the submarine, even when that door's closed, my name is Cobb. Yeah. And here's why. <laughs> because, because, yeah, that, you are, yeah, there's that's a, the, yeah, go ahead. You, you already know. <laughs> no, I'm <what> sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just, I completely agree, right? Yeah. There is a, there is a, a purpose for the rank and file system, yeah. um, you know, and, and it is important, um, yeah. you know, and, and like you were saying, that was one of the, that was kind of a tough thing for you know, a tough pill to swallow at first for me. Like I walk into the mess and as a new chief, you go, Oh, Hey, you kick in the door and you're like, Hey, everybody, I've arrived. I'm here to solve the world's problems. <laughs> and you get, you get that salty chief or that, you know, that saltier senior chief who's like, shut hey, up, sit <laughs> down, sit down and listen yeah. because you've got a lot to learn. Yeah. And that's, you know, um, sometimes that's a that's a hard a hard thing to take but you know it's it's really important and like you like you said when you know if when you go back to a boat as a cob yes every chief has a voice in the mess but you're the one again 
that ha- that's going to be footing the bill when things go wrong. So yeah. we got to we got to kind of support our, our job is to support you guys. Um, and in turn, you support us. Yeah. And I just think that the more I've examined it and I got this notebook that just says Cobb notes on the front of it. And it's where I write down my thoughts like something will come up as like a lesson or like when I'm a cop, I don't want to do it that way or I do want to do it that way. And just I have like this, these random little like, it's probably like three paragraphs a page of me just like kind of writing some stuff down to revisit later. But one of the things as I've done that and as I've kind of examined those things, it's like I just don't see a way around me being able to do what I need to do to create the culture that I think is needed inside of a mess and to uh, hold chiefs accountable the way that I want to and and mentor them and instruct them and do all those things where I'm just one of the guys like I can't. And and maybe it's just me where I'm not talented enough to straddle that line the way that uh, certain guys do. But I, I just don't see it being productive or healthy for somebody wearing a cookie to work to be sitting in the mess, coking and joking all the time and just being one of the chiefs on the submarine it's like i feel like there's a very clear line where it's like yes i am one of the chiefs but it's like this i'm like the the head of the mess like this is mine so and i'm accountable for it and and i'm gonna set the tone and the culture for this mess and so there's just a different approach that i think needs to be taken by me if i'm in that position where it's like i i don't i because i would i refuse to call our last cob the yeah. two that we had there, like their name was Cobb. I didn't, I refused to call him by their first name. And he used to joke about it. Like we'd be at his house and I would call him Cobb. Like when we were doing a chief's function. And it's yeah. cause it's like occasionally when I really needed to get his attention and he wasn't answering me, I'd yell his name, but um, yeah. I, and he would joke about it like that. I would refuse to call him by his first name. And it's like, that's cause that's not, you're not just one of the guys anymore. Like, and, and I feel like you have that conversation with selectees too. Like you're not one of the, the blue shirts anymore. Like you're you, there's a different demand on you and you're viewed differently. You have different responsibilities. I think it's the same way as a, as a SEL where it's just like when you're wearing that cookie to work, man, it's, it's different. And you think you're so used to just being one of the chiefs that even as, even if I make master chief in my current mess, which is possible before I go back to see, it's still not the same thing as wearing a cookie to work. A senior chief Cobb is in a different position and and I feel like has to approach it in a different way than a master chief in the mess where it's like, I'm just, I don't have the cookie on, right? Like I'm not the guy like, or the girl, right? Like it's not, I don't own the whole thing. I'm just a member regardless, even though I'm, yes, I'm a master chief, but it's so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I it's just different. And for me, at least, and maybe there are some insanely talented leader out there that somehow straddles that line successfully. But if we're doing cheese functions at the house, I'm probably not going to enforce it. But like, you know, if we're at my house, I, I can let my guard down a little bit, I think. But I. Yeah. The other thing, too, is like, I don't think I drinking never going to happen. And not because it's not just because I don't really drink, but I don't think I'll ever consume alcohol in front of my chiefs either. And I there's. Really? Ju- yeah, I don't think it'll happen. I just don't see how it could ever be productive. Like I'll go if you and I need to have a discussion, I'll go to a bar with you or the Chiefs Club or whatever and sit down with you, but I'll be drinking water. You know what I mean? Like it's just not 
I don't see how that is ever productive. I just didn't. Again, there's there's people that can do it, I'm sure. But I just like there's this thing where it's like that's not going to end anywhere good, man. It's just not like and I could even I can understand how that can be a disarming thing that can create the type of conversation that needs to happen at the time based on the context of the situation. If you come by the house and we sit on the back deck and then have we're sitting there sipping a scotch or whatever people do and and that, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, hopefully I went to your house so that you and didn't drink so that one of us isn't driving after having a drink. But I'm I'm just saying like I there's part of it where it's just like and it's just because it's it's me in that position. Like I would do it right now, like sit down with the chief and and have a drink and no big deal. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know, man. That's a slightly off topic, but in the same vein of, of I, there's just certain things that I feel like are going to compromise my ability to be the leader of that mess. And so it's kind of, it's a little different. Yeah. Well, and, you know, keeping it in the same vein as what we're talking about, you know, that's, I I think that's a good reflection of your character. You know, that's, um, that it's, it's recognizing that role and, and, um, kind of what, what responsibilities come along with that role. And while I, I agree, it can be, it can be kind of disarming. Um, it can, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, how I would feel, you know, in, in the same situation. I, I don't know. Like I could, I, I would probably find benefit or find value regardless of whether the person I was talking to was having a drink. Cause yeah. I really, it really doesn't matter to me whether you're having a beer or not. Right. Um, but I do, I do appreciate, you know, kind of that, that role and that responsibility. It's, it's similar to being the dock on the boat, you know, you're never not on call. So you can't, that's, that's, really that's the- kind of how I feel about, about that. Like that's like that idea of you're always on call. So you're never off duty kind of thing is like, yeah, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it is like, cause if I, so if I have that beer and then I drive home and then I tell people on Friday at quarters to not like zero drinks before you drive. Yeah, like, don't drink and drive, I, but I'm going to, I'm going to go and have a beer. Like, and, yeah, and absolutely. Maybe you wouldn't look at me that way, but a lot, I feel like a lot of humans would. And so that's how I kind of how in my mind that that works conceptually is like, yeah. I'm always on the clock hundred percent of the time yep. in that role. And, uh, it's, it's a kind of a, it is one of the less, savory aspects of these types of jobs. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's important that you, you, you know, you recognize that early on before you get called to the emergency room at two o'clock in the morning right. after a night of, you know, after a night of freaking hanging out at the local breweries out in Washington, you know, it's yeah. like, Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry. Shipman, <laughs> I can't meet you at the emergency room because I can't make it over there myself. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to move on to the next one. So this one's a, okay. I'm going to read a definition of the word challenge. And it's a call or summons to engage in any contest as <laughs> of skill, strength, et cetera. So like any contest that would fall in the like those areas of where you're testing skill, strength, et cetera. So okay. the next question is, how do you define challenge or what does challenge mean to you as a leader? All right. So challenge, you know, I, I, I like that definition of challenge. Um, I think challenge is a, is an obstacle, right. Um, that's kind of the traditional, I guess the traditional approach, um, is a challenge is an obstacle and challenges are meant to be kind of overcome. Uh, challenge can also be opportunity. Yeah. It's one of those, you, uh, 
iron sharpens iron type of colloquialism where you can't really grow as a person without having some type of challenge, you know, to face. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think that challenge is good. I think that challenge um, challenges are, again, they are in a way catalysts for personal and professional growth. You, uh, I'll tell you, I'm an independent duty corpsman and I went through a very challenging school and if it weren't for that challenge that I had to overcome, I would not have been prepared for the challenges that I faced while serving independently on a submarine. Being, I'm a, I'm a father, I've got two beautiful children at home and they challenge me every day. And it's, um, you know, some challenge, challenge is relative, yeah. um, but ultimately it's, it, it should be kind of embraced as a, as a good thing. And um, there's a, uh, there's a pretty famous, like, like, uh, I guess you, you could consider him like a inspirational speaker mm-hmm. or a motivational speaker. And his whole thing is like, you know, uh, extreme ownership. Oh and, yeah. Jocko. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to say names. Oh, no, that's fine. Anyway, He's a he, famous podcaster and leadership development guy. Yeah. Everybody knows who Jacko Willink is. And if you don't, go check out his book, Extreme Ownership. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, 100%. No, I'm not sponsored. But he, I think he sums it up the best. It's like if things suck, good, yeah. right? If you fail at something, good. Yeah. It shows that, you know, you're you're going to learn and grow from those things. And I really, really like the message, the messages that he kind yeah. of, you know, has to share with yep. that. I think if you are not challenging yourself as a leader, uh, maybe not daily, right? Because I, I feel like that's not realistic. Um, but if you're not if you're not constantly working towards a challenge, then you're really kind of falling short and getting complacent, and you know, not really yeah. not really progressing forward anymore. Yeah, and I think that like me and Nick talked about a lot about like shared adversity and how like working through that type of a challenge brings like a lot of groups really close together. But um, I've also been really into Brene Brown lately. She's this, she's effectively like, I think she's a doctor of social work. And then she wrote a bunch of books, does a bunch of talks. But uh, one of her books is based on this Teddy Roosevelt quote that was like a, uh, it just like was an inspiring thing for her and kind of led her down this path of writing one of her books. But For me, like lately, I've been thinking about it, stuff like this through the the lens of anything that makes me feel like uncomfortable or vulnerable, right? Like is like a, is a leadership challenge for me. And um, I'm going to read his quote real quick, just because I think it's awesome. But it goes, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. And uh, yeah, it's 
I don't know. I think it's a freaking amazing quote that says a lot about like how I feel about it. It's like you you have to be in the position to fall flat on your face and fail to be able to get anything great done. But it's like you also. I don't know, man, like you have to take that risk and and put yourself out there to be able to conquer that type of a challenge. So, like, I don't know. It's what popped into my head. And I think it's like I, I I think it's I think it's fantastic. Right. I think it's incredibly fitting. Yeah, you know, it's As hard considering. And Theodore Roosevelt is is by far one of my favorite historical figures yeah. because this he he kind of embodied that that um, intrinsic toughness. Mm. Um, he wasn't he was never looking for an easy way out. He was uh, I'm sure critics could argue that he was he was brash yeah, and he was. Sure brutish uh but he really never shied away from a challenge and um you know i i think it it's it 100 boils down to the if you get thrown from a horse you get back yeah. up and speaking you know kind of i guess in the in the same thread or in the same vein winston churchill was talking you know as once quoted as saying if you're going through hell keep going yeah. because you know if you're if these challenges um, and really, again, challenges are opportunities. It, you're supposed to test your metal. Yeah. You're supposed to you're supposed to fall down and skin your knee so that you're not afraid to do it later on. Right. You're supposed to get thrown from a horse so that you learn what not to do next time. And if you don't ever get back on the horse, if you if you stop while you're you know in the middle of hell, you're never going to you're never going to get out of there. Yeah. And I think too, like I think we answered the next question as well with the quote and the discussion, and it was in reference to CPO Creed. What does Mar mean to you? So it's it's like the like you can take damage, and I think that Roosevelt quote does a good job of explaining the difference. Like you can take damage, like you're not even if you win, like even if you accomplish what you set out to accomplish, you're going to take damage along the way. Like you're going to be scarred at the end of this. I guarantee it. Yeah, but. It doesn't well, mean that it permanently damaged you. It, it wasn't a setback. Like you're not, even if you fail, it, you're going to take that damage. You're going to learn from those lessons. Those scars are going to be reminders of those lessons and you're going to keep it, keep on moving. It's not something that's going to like permanently damage you to a point where you're at like reduced capacity forever, right? You're not going to get destroyed or defeated by it. I, I like that because I, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've seen it floating around Facebook, but uh, there's, there's this picture of, a, a knight dressed in a suit of armor and it, he just looks beat up and it says it says knights with shining armor have never had their metal tested <laughs> yeah i've seen and some, i love i've that. seen one uh it, it's like it got passed around some of the meme sites and reddit and stuff just making fun of people whose uniforms are pristine uh, <laughs> same kind of vein but yeah no i like that a lot where it's like yeah you're gonna take damage you're gonna it's gonna leave a mark like I say that that's one of the things I say to uh, chief selects when I'm talking to him about like what the experience is like, especially the first year. I'm like, it's going to leave a mark. You're not coming out of this unscathed. You're not. So when it says it can't mar you, only strengthens you. Like another thing that is also true is you're going to come out stronger, like it, but it's going to hurt <laughs> like as it should. And as all like all earning all good things is, I mean, it's going to it's going to be hard. But this especially like it it's going to leave a mark like emotionally, spiritually, physically, however you want to look at it. Like that first year as a chief is going to leave, going to leave some scar tissue. 100%. In some way it changes. Yeah. you. 
what different ways can a CPO respond to a challenge, positive or negative? So that's kind of a broad question, but I have a great this. I, I read this and I immediately reflected back on my first captain on the use yeah. of fish, and uh, I have I got some. Uh, quote unquote, bad news, mm. likely related to a TLD. Ah, neat. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's how you make, your, you that's how you make your submarine IDCs happy, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Even yeah. if you're kidding, walk yeah. up to them and tell tell them that one of your sailors lost their TLD. That's good. Yeah, that's why I've got more gray hair I, now than I did. And I'm only like, you know, I'm in my early yeah. 30s. Shouldn't be <laughs> looking this old. But uh, I, it was something to do with the TLD. And I walk into his into his office and I said, Captain, sir, I've got some bad news. And he goes, Doc, there's no such thing as good news or bad news. It's just news. (laughs) And it's what you do with it that determines its, you know, its character or its quality. And I went, that's incredible. Hey, we've got a TLD in San Diego and they're about to fly (laughs) home with it. And he goes, what? (laughs) I thought you said there was no such thing as bad news, sir. (laughs) <laughs> Why are you turn it red? <laughs> that lesson, that lesson right there, that yeah. that in, that quote, that exchange, I I really tried to kind of take that on board and kind of use that, and I probably fell short more times than I yeah. can count. But I think there really isn't good news or bad news. I think it's yeah. again, it's just news. You could argue all day long, right? You know, there there is going to be some news that is just no matter how you slice it, going to be less than less than a uh, good or amicable. Right. But I think challenge can be approached the same way. Um, I think that if you like Jocko says, if it sucks, you know, embrace the suck. Uh, this is an opportunity. There's no such thing as a yep. challenge or no such thing as bad. I think from a leadership right? perspective, that's the probably the bigger bigger piece to take away for for a chief is like look a lot of how the people you are charged with leading respond to challenges is going to be based on how you respond to it right like if we get bad news about a piece of a gears broken or or the deployment just got extended or like hey senior we just ran out of flour which has never happened to me and it's because it's, it's happened to me if that makes sense so like I ran out of flour as a second class on my first submarine and got to experience the pain and agony that is like, you don't realize what all of the things that flour goes into until it's gone. Oh yeah. Um, so as a chief, I like, I always have a zombie apocalypse supply of flour and coffee and a bunch of other things, but uh, I've never had that happen to me, but I've had things like that happen to me where it's like, Hey, my, my guys come and give me bad news or the one MC gives you bad news. Like, Hey, you know how you thought we were pulling in tomorrow and you're going to get to see your family. Actually, we're not. And, uh, you know, like on the ship I was on before, uh, used to fish was, I mean, good God, that happened all the time. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was, you know, a, a 70 day deployment turned into 123 days one time. So it was just like, And I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that. And so when you're that leader in that position, it's like, how do you frame that? Do you frame it like through the the lens of Jocko's good or do you frame it through the lens of woe is me? Right. And that video is I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes as well. That good video. It's just God like you want to talk about a perspective, man. 
Um, it's really, really yeah. good. It's see what you very, did there. Very fun. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, I get one yeah, once in a while. No, I, it, yeah, it's so it, it, you're going to set the tone for how your people respond to that challenge by the way that you respond to it. And man, that's something I struggled with a lot was controlling my emotional mindset basically like my emotional state when i was underway on nuclear power man like there was i had a hard time keeping myself in a good mood i had a hard time and and this was the first this was the first um deployment cycle where there was somebody at home that i was missing you know like i i effectively had a family and and i had never had to deal with that before first time i ever did as a senior chief like on my third submarine so it's it's I, and yeah, I mean, like I had dated people. It was like, it wasn't the same. It's like, I mean, this was, I have never yeah. missed a human being. Like I did, I did my wife on, on those deployments. And it's just like, I never had that before. So it was, I had a hard time keeping my head on straight and not responding to things negatively because I was upset that I wasn't home, you know, and it was, it was hard for me. So it's like, it took a lot for me to keep my head on straight in a lot of those situations. And there were times where I'd get really negatively emotional about something but it was like i'd i'd catch myself before i put my head through the wall and just tell the sailor i was dealing with look i'm not mad at you i'm just mad so give me a second it's not you it's me basically it's like and i had to kind of catch myself a handful of times where it's just like god like and a couple times where i'd had have conversations with like my department head and be like like i haven't gotten an email in a while and like my head's in a weird place just if so if i'm a little weird just give me the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? And so that, I think that's one of the things that I look at as like, as a chief, you have to really modulate like your response to those things uh, because you're setting the tone for your people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you in saying what you just did about your, um, about your department head, you know, having that self-realization or that kind of that self-reflection piece is really important as well, because we, we are all human um, doesn't matter what, I mean, you could be a senior commanding officer, a senior officer on board a nuclear powered submarine. And, um, the, the perception is that you always respond in a negative way. Um, and maybe you've got something yeah. going on and being in my position, I had a little bit of a, you kind of a unique, I guess a unique like access uh, basically. Yeah. Where it was, um, you know, I, I had that individual, you know, kind of open up and talk to me like a, like a yeah. human being and, and kind of express some of those concerns and some of those, um, I feel like there were times that I, you know, I was like, man, yeah. this guy is yeah. just terrible. I, um, yeah. but there's other times, you know, you hear that and you're like, wow, you know, he's really dealing with a lot of stuff. And, um, at the end of the day, we're all human and having the ability to kind of take a step back outside the fishbowl and kind of see, Hey, I'm maybe not uh, engaging or communicating the best that I can because I've got these other personal things going on and, and addressing that and accepting that, you know, I think that that's a really good source of that personal development. Yeah. So the next one is, uh, do our four core attributes complement the sailor's creed and CPO creed took me a second Cause I'm like four core attributes. I'm like, we only have three core. And then I was like, Oh, and then I looked it up to make sure I was right. And so I put the URL in there, but it's, yeah. it's the four core attributes, not the three core values of 
Uh, so it's integrity, accountability, initiative, and toughness. And I want to say Richardson came up with those. Um, I can't remember the CNO. That's yeah. That's a relatively pretty new. new. That's yeah. relatively new. Um, be, that was we were actually asking those uh, during Blue Jacket and uh, Junior Sailor. The yeah, quarter stumped me, board. man. It and, took me um, a second where I was like, I f- I feel like this is a trick and it's really core values. And then I looked it up and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that. So it's like, uh, yeah, they got me. I was, I was like, I'm aware of them now that I've seen them. Cause I've read all those like maintaining maritime superiority and all those documents, like a, from the senior list Academy on, I was made aware of them. And then I started reading them. And so like all those things that get re- released by the CNO about like the strategy and all, like, I, I read it when it came out, but then I kind of like, I mean, I haven't thought about it since I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So integrity, accountability, initiative, and toughness. I mean, they're they're great attributes, obviously. But uh, do they complement yep. the Sailor's Creed and and CPO Creed? So I, I I think that they do. I think that um you could directly tie integrity and accountability into honor and courage, right. um, an initiative and toughness. Commitment. I mean, they it really does. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah I, initiative is, and commitment. Toughness and commitment. There's a small like part of me that's like, of, why? Like, why just make little sub yeah. bullets under honor curve? Like, why? Why do we have to have another thing? Like, I, yeah, like, I know. It's not I, like I, agree. I, I like, disagree we, with integrity, accountability, initiative, and toughness. But like, do we need another mantra? Like, I've got the Sailor's Creed. I've got the ethos. I've got the core values. Do I? Do I need core attributes? Do I? Do I really? Do I? I, you know, it's we, we've got our three core values, our four core attributes, our five. Yeah, if key you put a gun to my head, I couldn't, six, I know. could not quote the ethos <laughs> right now. And it's not that it's a bad thing. Yeah. It's I'm okay. It exists and it's good. And it's like, but come on, like, do we need another? Do do we do we need another one? So yeah, I, and I think that you know, I think that these things directly tie right. into the the specific elements of the CPO creed. I think it, they are one hundred percent encompassing uh, or encompassed by the core values because it, it takes honor to be to right, have integrity. Right, right. It takes courage to have integrity and to be accountable and to be and to be tough. You know, there was a you know, with all of the, especially in my line of work with all of the, um, unplanned losses due to mental health that were directly related to sailor yeah, resiliency. Yeah. I think that the, all of these core attributes are, are 100% kind of encompassed by the, the sailor's creed and the, the Navy core values. So I think that they've always been there. I just think that somebody decided that we're going to put a, uh, put a yeah. title to it. No, I, I agree. I think the only one I could point at and be like, uh, is in the CPO creed. Uh, there are things that could be misconstrued as permission to operate outside the lifelines. So I, I scratch my head on accountability a little bit where when you're saying things like exalted position, when you're saying things like you're, responsibilities and and privileges do not appear in print or file, right? Like there's things in there that I feel like you could warp and I'm not saying it's normal, but I'm saying that at, when you read it, it's almost like you, I, I already have to read between the lines on a lot of that stuff. And it feels like you could, cool. you could read between the lines in a, in a warped way. If you lack character, uh, like we talked about earlier, and end up in a place where you feel like certain rules don't apply to you. I agree yeah. completely. And I think that, you know, when we talk about accountability, 
right? How do you hold somebody accountable or what, why would you hold somebody accountable? It's because they're not upholding or not maintaining standards, which, you know, where do we derive our standards from? Uh, they're derived from the instructions and the regulations and, and the rules that we have yeah. written down. And, you know, I, I completely agree. I think when, when we talk about your duties and responsibilities, don't, don't show up in print. I, well, you're right. I, there, there are, thousands of gray area operators that live and breathe in the Navy. And I would say, I don't know, maybe I've got my rose colored glasses on, but I would say by and large, people tend to do the right thing. However, you do get that gray area and it's, it does open the door for things. So I think that when we do say things like, you know, Hey, we, we don't necessarily as cool as it sounds to me where it's like, Hey, there's, there's no one that I think what they meant was there's no instruction manual on how to be a good chief. But, you know, I think if you apply, you know, there's no instruction manual on how to be a good chief, but if you apply these core attributes and they're supported or encompassed by these core values, I think that you'll be yeah. on the right track. But I, I don't know. The, the accountability thing is really, really important. And um, at least where I'm at right now, um, that's one thing that, you know, we, we do, I've got one, one chief in my mess that is, he doesn't, he doesn't care if it's going to hurt your feelings. He's going to tell you that you're doing something wrong. He's not afraid to let you know. And he's not afraid to, to say, Hey, that's wrong. That's messed up. Why are you doing that? And I think that that's really, really important. And, uh, I mean, it's, it seems like a no brainer, but you also will see people that are going to be uh, maybe not doing the right thing at the, when they should be, or when nobody's looking. So you kind of fall into that integrity piece. Right. Right. So we're at the leadership seven C's finally. So I'm just going to read those off real quick to make people aware of them. This is from the book navigating the seven <laughs> C's. So uh, the seven C's of leadership from the book are character, competence, courage, commitment, caring, communicating, and community. So some of those are pretty familiar, right? We've talked about obviously character and competence. Courage is one of our core values. Commitment is one of our core values. So they're all tied in to us as a as an organization. But we're going to discuss pieces or, and, and quotes from the book of all of those. So first, uh, in regards to the quote at the bottom of the slide that I'm going to read right now, it is the core of the leader, essential to the end, ways and means of realizing the leader's vision. So as a first class officer, chief select or chief, so in this case, chief, because that's what I'm talking to, but this will be discussed among the chief selects as they do this training. What does the quote mean to you as a leader and how do you know if a leader has good character? So the quote kind of means, you know, we we have as a leader, as a, you know, we, we refer to ourselves as deck plate leaders often we have an obligation or like a, like a personal responsibility that we have to not only have a, a destination, but kind of like the yeah. plan to get there. I think I, um, I failed you know, to not- define character before I asked you this question too. So they have a, you probably read it already, but the character character is defined as the moral excellence and the mental and moral qualities to an individual. So that the quote being, part of the character section of the seven C's. So sorry, go ahead. I realized I had. No, it's okay. I, it's important that at the core of the leader, you need to have the ways and means of realizing the vision, right? So in order to, it's like, um, 
that famous movie, they're driving to a, a theme park and it's got Chevy oh, Chase yeah. in it and driving cross country. And, you know, they want to get to this one place with a big, a big moose and, um, you know, they're driving cross country. They get into a whole bunch of like shenanigans oh, yeah. and stuff like that. But I've driven cross country numerous times in, you know, executing PCS orders. And you have to not only know, hey, this is where we are going, but this is how we're going to yeah. get there. You know, and it takes it takes foresight, it takes planning, it takes having that personal motivation because it's really easy to just wake up one morning and go, ah, you know, we were supposed to leave at four o'clock yeah. in the morning, but here it is, eight o'clock, and we're just yeah. And be I think late. the the quote um, is is it's talking about like, look, a, a lot of leaders are going to go in with this like rosy vision of where they want the organization to go whether it's a CO or the CMC or whoever, they're going to have this grandiose idea of this is what I'm going to accomplish when they come into the job. And it's like the core or the character of that leader is going to be essential to the end ways and means of making that happen. And it's like, if you don't have that, it's probably not going to happen. And I think a lot of that is rooted in like authenticity and trust. And like, if I go into an organization and I have this, this grandiose vision of all the things I'm going to accomplish as a leader, but I'm doing it to, to pad my own resume and stroke my own ego. Everyone's going to be able to tell that that's my motivation for doing so. And that my motivation lacks character and lacks a concern for those sailors careers and, and moving them forward in the organization for it. It's more about just me getting recognition they're going to see right through that immediately. So it's like, yeah, it's dis, it's yeah. disingenuous. It's not, there's no, there's no real, I mean, it's not a vision at that point. It's not a vision. It's a, you know, it's a, it's right. a goal. It's a personal goal. And a vision I think has to apply to kind of the, the group or the organization at large. I, I think that, you know, a vision without a plan is yeah. a hope and, um, you know, I think that as, you know, like just to kind of reference back to the uh, the slides, I think if we if we as leaders are not there to kind of establish or to kind of create those ways and means to uh, to uh, accomplish that goal or, you know, we don't we don't lay down the, the itinerary for the road trip. Um, we're never we're really going to have a hard time reaching that vision and, up, and upholding that. And it's our job to to the captain decides where we want to go. It's our job to figure out how to get there. Right. And I think know? the character of that leader is obviously going to severely affect it. Cause it says end ways and means, right? So the, the end state of that leader's vision could be in the completely wrong place. Like it could just be a bad. Vision. Absolutely. Um, but also so to just close the loop on the question, how do you know if a leader has good character? Um, I mean, we touched on a little bit of, I, I can, you're just there's a sense to it where where human beings yeah. can just tell a lot of the times when a person has ill intent but i also it's like i'm going to be observing that person i'm going to be observing if they do what they say i'm going to observe how they interact with different people i'm going to observe how they interact with me do they help me when i need it or is it all self-serving it's it usually reveals itself pretty quickly because I've I've certainly had leaders that have temporarily hoodwinked me a little bit where it's like I'm like oh thank God this guy's here you know like this this is gonna help change the organization for the better and then two months later I'm like 
man, F this guy. Like, this guy's terrible. Like, <laughs> God, he's horrible. And then, like, somebody will remind me of how I was, like, talking about how optimistic I was. And it's almost to the point now where I've been burned to the point where I'm I'm always cautiously optimistic, where it's like, I want it to work out. And I want this leader to be the answer to our problems. But I also know that that's usually not the case. And, like, best case scenario is probably like like everyone really i mean they're going to contribute to some improvements but i you know like i i'm always looking for the the hero like i think everybody is like it's like a complex almost where it's like we want like a savior complex like when you're in that type of a situation anyway like you're just looking for the one missing piece that's going to come in and turn the whole thing around and uh, I mean, I in in my mind, I, I think I strive to be that type of a leader too, where I can like show up to an organization that's struggling and put it all on my back, and it's like that's misguided. But <laughs> I, I I agree, and I think that there, I think that by and large, I think that's just sure, human nature. Sure. We want we want to we yeah. want to fix stuff. We want to help, and we want to fix things. And uh, yeah, I think that um, it's not always the most realistic plan right. or, or goal. Like you said, it's one of those, um, I, I don't know, char- character is, is kind of hard to nail down until until it rears its ugly head and you really kind of get a good feel of who you're dealing with by the way that they interact with, with um, others around them when they think that you're not listening. And um, yeah, it's, it, it is really a, it is kind of tough to, yeah. to pin down. All right. uh, Definition of competence. So competence is defined as the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. Pretty straightforward. Uh, And that's in relation to uh, the next quote. But first, what does that definition mean to you? It's the it's your ability to do your job. It's you know, you have the the technical acumen to, uh, you know, execute the roles and responsibilities of uh, your pretty, pretty vanilla. Uh, but le- the quote being leadership involves having competence in achieving desired effectiveness. And then in parentheses, it says results, performance or outcomes as defined by the leader. How do you feel about the quote? What does that, what does that mean to you? Um, so, man, I some of these were really were really. Yeah, it's a great book, man. I highly um, for everyone listening. Yeah. Read that book. You'll get a lot out of it just in general. But the. It's a it's a really great exploration of leadership concepts and they use a lot of stories, too. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I did a I um, recently took a college class. It was uh, healthcare ethics and uh, talked about um, informed consent and, you know, consent prior yeah. to procedures or, or anything. Right. And consent has to be informed. It's got to be competent and it's got to be voluntary. And in order to ensure that this is valid, you know, the patient has given valid consent for the procedure or treatment or whatever. Right. And I think that it kind of relates to, you know, you have to know how to do the job in order to like, I would never, I would never be able to tell you a CS how to go and get an excellent or above standards on your next SMI, because I am not competent in that line of work. I'm not competent in that career field. I, I don't know. You know, and I think that a leader needs to not only know how to do the job at the at the most fundamental level, but also see the bigger picture so that, you know, when when the whoever's in charge or when the leader 
um, themselves says we have to do this, they understand the steps involved to get to that point. Um, I think that's where I think there's just listening and talking and over the you know past couple of years, um, I think that's where leaders kind of fall short is they don't we implement I say we as in the collective we um, you know uh, implement policies and. Uh, regulations and rules and stuff, especially with what's going on in the world with the the global yeah. pandemic. Navy has kicked out a bunch of policies that aren't necessarily the don't necessarily take into consideration or or have regard for what actually needs to happen in order to do these things. Um, talking to one of the uh, one of the civilian um, contractors that work at the ID lab here on you know yeah. where I'm at. The DOD has extended all common are all uh, dependent ID cards until June of 2021, yeah. which means if everything's expired now and they've got until June of 2021, there's going to be thousands yeah. of dependent ID cards that are going to expire at the same time. And we're talking with like a system that that basically uh, has has an issue almost every yeah. day of the week, and that's the the ID yeah. card system. It basically it poops the bed almost every day of the week around right. the same time. And there's one server to handle all the ID cards, yep. DOD wide. And, but somebody saying, well, for the sake of this, we're going to just extend every, everybody to this one yeah. time. And I think they're, and they're it's realizing not, that now. And you've seen, I've seen some stuff about like, if your ID card falls within this window, go get it now. And then everybody else would like, we'll do you later or whatever. I like, but I think yeah. they're realizing that now, but I think a lot of that was just based out of the necessity of like some of this was just like it was sudden. We didn't really have a great plan for it. And so we were learning on the job as we fumbled our way through the response, because like we know yeah, right now we've got problems with people's IDs expiring. What can we do about that? We'll extend their IDs. OK, so then they did that. And then they're like, we'll deal. Basically, we'll deal with the consequences on the back end. And it's like. Some of that stuff, I feel like they pro- probably anticipated those challenges, even though they didn't always know what they were because of the nature of it. But I mean, I don't know, like I, we're always going to point at the the shortcomings of a plan, but it's like how much planning and competence went into making sure that that was the only problem, like how much planning and competence made made it possible to extend those ID cards to actually fix that problem for sailors so that look we understand now you don't have to worry about this worry about covid mitigation measures so that we can deploy your unit you know what i mean like we're not going to worry about that we're going to worry about because you're deploying people and then their id is going to expire and so it's like well what are we going to do about that like it's not his fault or her fault that they had to go on deployment and now their id's expired so yeah, and I I completely agree. I uh, that was just you know I yeah, try no, to I got use it. that as you know as that an certainly example. Has happened. I but agree I think with that, you. Like, but I I think that you know we see that a lot. Kind of I feel like perpetuates this you know that perceived disconnect between the the leadership and the deck plate. And um, I I don't know how many times I heard uh, a handful of individuals saying, "Hey, the people at the top don't." know what it's like or they don't remember what it's like to be working down here and they don't care that uh they want you know they want this done but it's going to be so many hours of this and it's it's important that there is a like a subject matter expert 
or a somebody with a level of competence yeah. that can speak intelligently to those challenges. That's the important those, part is um, speak to it because there's yeah. a lot of misconception about that. We completely forgot where we came from. I'm like, or you just don't have the same big picture perspective that I have and the same information and policy restrictions and everything else. Like a lot of times, a lot more consideration is given than junior sailors think. But it's like, look, I've got constraints I need to operate within. I've got policy and and restrictions being dictated to me that I have to color inside of. Yeah, I have big picture perspective like a like a strategic level view of the playing field that you don't and so i think a lot of because i did it man i was a salty second class that knew everything like just like i feel like everybody is and yep and was upset that these idiots in power didn't know what they you know couldn't plan their way out of a white paper bag and couldn't figure out how these things affected junior sailors and it's like sometimes like we're gonna arrive at a decision that's the best case scenario i would like to think that they're soliciting that type of input and feedback and that there is a subject matter expert present and they're asking all the right questions so that they're mitigating as much of that as possible. But I don't think there's a policy that anybody could roll out that would not draw the ire of the E4 mafia. Like, I don't think, I don't think that's a real thing. That's a unicorn. Like, (laughs) yeah, well, and it's, it is 100% the old adage that you are never going to make everybody happy. You, you just, it's not, it is not realistic. It's not, it's not likely, but you know, I, I completely agree there. There needs to be somebody who has the kind of the understanding or the wherewithal to, to say, Hey, uh, I understand what you want to do or what you want the organization as a whole to do. This is what it's going to take on our end for this particular component or system or division or, and uh, you know, the person that ultimately is tasked or charged with making the tough decisions has to take all of that on board and, and take and consider all of that. And we, I think we as leaders need to um, not only support our, our junior guys and girls, uh, our junior sailors, but also support the people that have to, you know, that ultimately have to make the decision. We're there to support them and are, it's important for us to say, hey, this is what we've got going on, but, you know, we're also, we can flex yeah. to this. We have this type of, you know, this leeway um, in this where the the job theoretically should take, and this probably is a terrible example because if a job says it's going to take five hours and doing it shorter than that is probably you're not doing something right. But sitting there going, hey, you know, it's this is it's going to take us a while to get this done. Well, how fast can you get it done? Well, job sheet says three hours. This is what we, this is what we're going to need. Here's my, here's the issue. Here's my recommendation. Here's what I want to do. Yeah. I think um, definitely, definitely so. taking the time to explain what you can to junior sailors will help them receive the message. I think for sure. So how Absolutely. do you know if a leader is competent? They yeah, demonstrate it. They will, they will, they will demonstrate eventually. Their, their level of yeah, for 100%. Sure. Yeah, it's and it's that I 100 100% agree or believe is a yeah. matter of time. Yeah. Um you want you will always demonstrate your level of competence or you will always perform at the level Yeah, you're of your always going to default back to the lowest level of your training and I feel like it's it's one of those like you might have been able to skate around and like get to a certain place in life by 
cheating the system somehow and not gaining the requisite experience and, and level of knowledge. But eventually, especially in leadership positions, you're going to be exposed for your lack of competence. And that problem generally solves itself. Um, it can be dangerous, though. And it's something that leaders need to be very aware of that, like, hey, when you encounter a, a leader that lacks competence in a certain area, you have to bring that to someone's attention. And, and I think the, a good first stop, if you think it's going to be productive based on your interactions with that leader is like sitting down with them and be like, hey, do you have a, a knowledge gap here? Because I can help you with that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's I think it's also beholden to the leader themselves. Sure. To recognize but I pr- pride the mother. Um, so I'm, it's like I get it. I, 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 I definitely um, I'm because we, me and uh, I think Bob talked about this where it's like I show So I showed up to a ballistic missile submarine for the first time as a senior chief with no knowledge of the platform. And there's an expectation that I requalify chief of the watch and then qualify dive for the first time because on the special boat, I didn't have the opportunity to do that because it's just not what they needed me to do. Um, so I didn't do it. So I, I needed to qualify dive for the first time and I'm a freaking 16 year senior chief when I show up. So I'm looking at it like, God, like I have to relearn a whole nother platform, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I, what's the easiest way for me to get this done? I want to I want to have all the knowledge of the things that I need so that I'm competent in these positions. I'm, I'm always paranoid that my level of knowledge isn't going to be good enough and that I'm not going to be as prepared as I could be. But like, how, what's the easiest path for me to accomplish this? And the easiest path was me talking to experts, right? Sounds easy enough. But yep. as a senior chief, wh- what experts am I talking to? chiefs first classes and second classes generally i mean there were times where i was talking to third classes because part of a normal cook's career progression is not driving the submarine it's being in the galley so i'm now in a position where i'm supervising the people driving the submarine but i have no idea how to drive the submarine so i need to get some kind of idea on how to do that and who do i get that from well the people driving the submarine who are they the most junior people on the entire boat generally yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's really, really important. I don't think I can overstate. I've said, I feel like I've said really, really important a lot. Um, I don't know that I could overstate the importance of humility yeah. as a leader and recognizing, hey, I, you know, I do it, I do it all the time. Like there's plenty of things, even at the pinnacle of the Corman rating, and argue with me all you want. Somebody see is like, Basic, that's basically, where, that's where, you know, that's. <laughs> Pretty much the pinnacle of the rating. Um, there's stuff that I haven't experienced yeah. personally, and I don't. I I've got no qualms about asking the junior individuals in my. You know, I'm an instructor right now, and I teach corpsmen how to be sub IDCs, and I have no qualms about asking somebody if they've done this before, and what do you what yeah. do they think about it? What's their take? And um, I don't know everything, and I I am comfortable, and I am. I, I'm actually like pretty, pretty happy that I don't know everything because I yeah. enjoy learning from different people. Yep. You know? uh, so next one is courage. So defined as the moral and mental strength to do what is right, uh, even with criticism or adversity. So what does the definition mean to you? We'll start there. All right. So um, courage is uh, one of those things that, I always kind of, when I think about courage, I think about, you know, there's, uh, I think about a discussion I had previously where we were talking about the difference between bravery 
and courage um, and bravery is, you know, the absence of fear in the face of adversity and courage is not the absence of fear in the face of adversity, but still pushing forward. It's like you got the, the old heroes of lore that, you know, were fearless and they would rush into battle with sword, you know, one sword, you know, and a thousand yeah. enemy forces descending upon them. And at some point, you know, bravery is courage is the kind of the opposite. It's, you know, rushing in there, but not, I don't know, not having, uh, not being fearless. It's yeah, you know, having it apprehension, is. but still doing it because, you know, that's, that's what has to be done. I guess I'm thinking of them as the same thing. Cause I don't like, I don't think even bravery is the absence of fear. I think the absence of fear is a myth. Like I, if you're, go- I, I've also heard that the absence of fear yeah, is I was gonna say but, yeah, that's called um, <laughs> dumb. Because <laughs> like you're, of course you're scared, man. I like I, I I'm a big uh, MMA fan. I'll try not to get too far off on this tangent because it's not a lot of people can relate. But I mean, just combat sports in general. It's like a lot of those fighters when you they get interviewed, they talk like they're all scared. Anybody that says they're not scared going into that type of a confrontation is lying to you. Uh, or they're a sociopath that probably murders people on weekends, but it's it's like you you'd have to be crazy or stupid to not be afraid in in the type of scenarios that demand courage or bravery. So um, yeah, I feel like that's insanity. Uh, if you're actually if you're actually going in not scared, that's you're either insane or dumb. But yeah, so yeah. The, in regards to the quote, which I will read right now. Leadership necessitates courage in making decisions. Leaders should consider the facts, opinions of a diverse group, uh, instincts into intuition and be decisive at the right time. So how do you feel about the quote? So I, my, I have a lot of like personal, uh, this kind of hits home with me. Um, You know, and I, I know I relate back to my job on the boat. Um, but there were times that I had to bring up again, this, you know, this bad news, um, knowing that I was probably going to get my head chopped off or my, you know, my face just absolutely flame sprayed, but the, you know, it, it didn't negate the fact that I still had my job to do. And I still had to make a decision based off of this. And I had to be willing to kind of stand behind my decision despite, the the repercussions yeah. or or potential um you know I negative did not response. envy and, a um, first class submarine unqualified IDC having to go tell the cob hey we got to medevac this guy like we have to come off station do all this crap or we have to do whatever like stop doing what we're doing turn the submarine around and go to a place where we can get this sailor off the submarine and it's like you kind of have to stand behind that if that's your medical judgment because it's like no one else on the submarine is qualified to make that decision and and, but it's like you have a whole bunch just this avalanche of naysayers based on them wanting to just plow ahead and get the mission done and oh now we're gonna look bad and we're gonna like lose a bunch of time and blah there's all these negative impacts of that but it's like sailors first man like i'm that was kind of like i remember the door closing on the chief's quarters and the cob basically flipping out because, oh, my God, Doc's telling me I got to medevac every single sailor with a boo boo. And I'm just like, look, man, like <laughs> one, you're not even a little qualified to make this decision. And neither am I, neither is anyone else Two, It's like, do you want to be wrong? 
Like, do you want to be wrong about this? Do you want to be the cob that ignored the symptom of whatever? And then the blood clot actually kills the kid. Like, do you want to be that guy? Because I don't. I'd rather have to explain to my squadron CMC that maybe my doc needs some mentorship on what needs to be a medevac and what doesn't. And I'll I'll do that when well, that I mean, resource is available to me. If that's what I really thought, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. but I'd rather have that conversation than my sailor's dead because I argued against and the IDC had won. I mean, that's going to be like a jag man, dude. Like, that's going to be people are getting yeah, fired but, there. So it's like the the toughest part about that. And I I know this is a little off topic, but the toughest part about and I I still talk about that particular instance or that particular situation to this day because that was that was one of like you always have these like like oh crap moments they always talk about like you're gonna get this one and it's gonna make you it's gonna really really scare you and that was that was one of them and um you know you you, we're doing a job that had i mean i'm i had nothing to go off of you know that the kind of the mainstay of diagnosis for that particular thing was ultrasound which i didn't have i had no way to like treat it basically if the worst because we just don't we don't have the space for it it. Um, aren't those kind of small aren't they like a little cart they have we don't have the space for it i don't know i'm I'm buying my doc yeah i know i know keep going (laughs) but um there's also the training aspect that has to go into it well that's fair okay like there's there's a number of things that go into that. And I, I, you know, I'm, it's not my place to say, Hey, this is messed up. And you know, everyone who, anyone who says otherwise is wrong, but you know, because again, I don't, I don't have that big picture. I don't really necessarily have the big picture view of that just yet, but we're basically going off of, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. And this is the lit, you know, the limit, my limitations. And if this was the worst case scenario and this blood clot, gets up into this guy's lung or his brain, he's going to die. And I'm not going to be able to do anything about it except watch him happen, like watch it happen. And, um, that was the, that was the case that I made. And fortunately, you know, I, I mean, to be completely fair at the start of our, our particular commanding officers tour, he said at the, at the get go, right. You know, right when I first met him, he said, doc, I'm, you're going to give me some news that I'm not going to want to hear. I'm going to challenge you on it. Expect that. But most of the, he goes, I would say I I'm probably not going to go against your recommendation. And to his credit, um, he really didn't. And there was one time that he was like, doc, I'm, I'm not going to send this message off because it's going to stir up a bunch of stuff shore side. And he's already, the guy's already looking better. And my reasoning for sending off that message was, um, mainly because it was, you know, we've got some guidelines in our instructions requirement that say if, kind of thing. if X, Y, and Z, you okay. have to send this off. Oops. Um, and I gave this guy like higher, you know, higher level medication and, and it was like, Hey, I, I got to do this because this is what the instruction says I have to do. And the captain said, we're not going to send the message. And I said, okay, well, here's this other piece of correspondence that I need you to sign also yeah. again. To right. Cover, yeah. To, I mean, if that's one of the things like me. if it, it doesn't affect pa- the patient and it's like, it's just a require an administrative requirement essentially. And, and the CEO is making that strategic decision. Just he's going to sign off on it. And it's not, you know, my CEO told me no, like that's, that's, I get that completely, but the, the courage required of, cause we talk a lot about like, chiefs have to you have to be able to walk into the old man's stateroom and tell him you know what's what 
and brief him and what and give him that bad news. But in your situation, it's like it could be literally life and death if if whether or not you stay, have the courage to stand your ground or not. And that was one of the ones where I was like, I'm not saying I know how to do your job better than you, but I am saying, like, do you really want to be wrong about this? Like. I get it. You're going to take flack for it, but who cares, man? If I, if I'm known as the guy that turns the submarine around all the time, because my doc tells me to like, okay, cause I can live with that. I'm going to sleep like a baby. But if you come to me and with conviction are telling me that there's a chance this kid could die and there's nothing I can do about it. If I'm right. And these symptoms present, it's like, Okay, I mean, like, uh, unless we're at war and we're engaged in yeah. in undersea combat, and I can't tactically egress from the situation. Yeah, you know I mean, like, the tactical picture is such that I can't egress safely from the situation without risking the entire crew and ship. It's like, okay, maybe, the- but if we're just underway nuclear power transiting to an area where we're going to punch holes in the ocean like nah i'm um, um, we're gonna go we need to get this kid off the boat like there's just no i can't think of a justification for it but i can obviously envision a situation because it happened to you and i'm sure it's happened to a bunch of idcs where the chain of command is pushing back like really are you sure we really need to get this guy off really he looks fine to me like really and it's it takes a lot for a brand new HM one submarine unqualified, like to, to just dig your heels in when the commanding officer of a submarine and the effectively the command master chief, the Cobb is are both looking at you skeptically and just like telling you effectively you're stupid. Read like read between the lines. You're stupid. Like you're wrong. This is dumb. You're, you're yeah. screwing everybody. Like you're going to get a lot of like shame out of that. Like you're going to get a lot of like, you're going to read all those signals and just be like, am I wrong? Like, or just retreat back into the comfort of, of acceptance by giving them what they want, which is to, okay, yeah, no, it's fine. I'll deal with it, whatever. And it's like, no, you can't, you just said you can't, like if something goes horribly wrong, you can't deal with it. So yeah, that's yeah. At the risk of sounding kind of self gratifying or self, you know, uh, self-promoting or whatever, you really do have to have uh, a level of courage that maybe you are yeah. not comfortable with, but you still have to, you still have to say, no, sir, no, Cobb, we have to get off this. We have to get this individual right. off the boat. Yeah. And I, God, I and, would hope that, that like when you come across with like the type of conviction you probably would need to, and it's, it's like just how do you not like again unless there's a situation where i'm risking more lives than just that one sailor by doing it then i'm probably gonna do it because i just i can't yep. i can't envision a situation where i wouldn't but so i this i feel like the answer to this one's going to be very similar like how do you it's a it says how do you know if a leader has courage and i feel like it's almost the same as competence like they're going to demonstrate it and and you yeah. can only you can only go so but, long before having to demonstrate it at least on like a a small like kind of like routine-ish level, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think that with courage, it's going to, it isn't always necessarily going to be as obvious as competence. Sure. Um, yeah. Part of, again, like you, you mentioned the uh, door to the chief's mess closing and, and Cobb having his, his words. I never, I never saw or never even 
like it never even crossed my mind that you were in there going, Hey, but what if, yeah. what if he's, do you want really want to be wrong there? And like, that's, I, I think while not, not exactly the same thing, I think that in certain cases, the junior sailors aren't necessarily going to see that level of courage where the chief is going up and saying, no, don't send this freaking kick this person out. They, you know, yeah, they met messed up, but um, retain this person. You, you know, you're not necessarily always going to see your chief fighting for you, but it, um, I think it happens. That, you, know, you, you do it get, happens. you know, I, I completely agree. I've, the, I've yeah, seen it the, firsthand. The lengths um, to which it happens. I wish I could like, post some YouTube videos or something like I don't think and then everybody would just say it's all staged but like I don't I can't express how misguided though it is sometimes I can't express how frequently and fiercely that chiefs argue for their sales even when you have that chief that you think hates your face like I'm telling you yeah the vast majority of the time I've sat on a ranking board and been like, nope, that guy doesn't deserve to be an MP. We'll wait until the P's and then I'll talk about it kind of thing. But like, like I, I'm also realistic and I will rank somebody exactly where they rank. Now I'm not going to like fight for them to get an EP just because I, I can win, you know, like I'm going to put them exactly where yeah. they belong. But that, do- that doesn't even always happen. We have to get to a point where we, that all comes out in the wash when we do the ranking boards, hopefully. But um, yeah, you're not you don't understand the extent at which chiefs argue for the, like to the point where I've had conversations during ranking boards or map boards or whatever, where I'm just like, look, man, I know you want to advocate for your sailor, but do they really deserve an EP? Like because you're by definition in the enlisted evaluation manual, you're saying that. So let's say we're talking about like MM2, that MM2 is ready to be MMC. Like read the book. Like it's not. It doesn't say yeah. they're ready to be the next pay grade. It says they're ready to be the next next pay grade. So like, even though that's not how it's implemented in practice, it's just like, look, man, you're so we're ranking first classes. Like you want that guy in the mess tomorrow? Like you're that's what you're that's what you're telling me. Right, he's ready to be a chief right now. He's ready to be selected because that's what we're going to communicate to the selection board. So. He's ready to be, yeah. and if you're gonna, if you're ready to die on this hill, then then okay, stand by to die. But like, because I'm gonna go, like <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna argue, but it's like who's who's best positioned to evaluate that sailor, their chief, right? But there's context yeah. there because I interact with that sailor as a duty chief. Cobb interacts with that sailor as whatever command collateral duty they hold. Uh, the yeoman and like all kinds of people interact with that sailor that are going to be in the position to add to that evaluation. And if, if the guy's late for duty all the time, or he can't effectively supervise his duty section. So like, really he's only underperforming when he's on duty. Like, like he's lighting the world on fire back in the engine room when he's crushing his job as the M dev LPO or whatever, or the a gang LPO or whatever. But, Every and then the cobs sitting there rolling his eyes about because all the career counselor stuff's all jacked up or whatever. It's like so you gotta. There's gonna be a, a pretty sobering conversation where you're you're gonna argue against. But the point being, that argument happens and it happens passionately and it happens a lot more than junior sailors think that it does. Like to the point where there's people ready to like choke each other at the end of ranking boards a lot of the time. And it's just like they get fired up, man. And it's just like I don't. Th- and it's even like the chiefs that you least expect 
are usually the most vocal like where it's like good god like you're fired up or i thought you hated your division like like you're fired up over there <laughs> um and they're arguing passionately for their sailors so it's like you'd be surprised um and i wish there was a way for me to to capture that and show it to the world but uh, other than me telling you there's yeah. no other way that i could put to, i could do it where it would work but all right we are on commitment definition of commitment the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or activity, et cetera. In reading the definition, what does the definition mean to you? It's, you know, it's buying in. It's um, not making the Navy a part-time job, a full-time life type thing. And that doesn't mean like drinking the Kool-Aid. That doesn't mean like, you know, but it, it means like doing what you said right. you were going to do. Right. You know, we, we all have to like raise our right hand, sign a, sign a contract to serve however long and do, you know, do a good job, yeah. you know, and having commitment is saying I made a commitment or I, I said I was going to do something and I'm going to see it through. And, um, you know, I think that we, we don't see that a whole lot or we, we see people that are maybe kind of falling off of the falling off the wagon in certain cases with, with regard to that, you know, I've, I can't tell you how many times I heard somebody who's been in the Navy for all of, all of nine months saying, this isn't what I thought it would be. I don't want to do it anymore. It's like, well, you signed up. Nine months is generous. Like (laughs) you got guys that like just make it to the boat. If that, like I had a school students doing it like, Oh, this is not for me. And it's like, you haven't even made it to the fleet yet. How do you know? Like, you don't even know what this is. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I think that's what commitment is. Hey, I, I made a promise and I'm going to, I'm going to make good on my promise. I, or I made a bet and I, you know, I'm not going to go back on a bet. I think that's, uh, that's my, what commitment means to Uh, me. So the quote, a commitment to serving or supporting something greater than self in our case, defending freedom through service in the Navy. Uh, How do you feel about the quote in relation to commitment? I, I think it I think it kind of um, amplifies the definition. Yeah. It's it's um, it sounds you know, a lot like a definition of commitment, but yeah, yeah. Well, and it sounds it's very much in line with our again our Navy core values. Yeah, um, the strength of the Navy at large or as a whole is going to be limited by people's commitment or level yeah. of commitment or lack thereof, I guess. It, and that's really what it comes down to. It's hey, I know that. My job is not always going to be the most glamorous or the most rewarding or fulfilling, but you know, it's still my job and I said I would do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, The, so the part of that quote that, that stood out to me, like I I thought it was good, felt like a lot, a lot like a definition, but then I think, and in both of the, the authors of the book, both Mass Chief Williams and Admiral Williams, they're both like at the top, right? They're top enlisted pay grade Basically, I mean, he was a three out of four stars, I believe, when he retired, uh, the Admiral Admiral Williams, which is Master Chief Williams' son. I feel like strategic level, like high nosebleed seat level leaders often express this through the lens of like defending freedom and democracy around the world. Right. Okay, so I understand that there are definitely people that join the military for that purpose, like they wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves and viewed serving the defense of democracy and serving the country by default, right? That like that was a noble cause, right? But almost nobody is going to work like pumped to go down on the submarine and chip paint or whatever they're going to do that day. 
do, do like elect, electrical division maintenance because they want to defend freedom and democracy around the world. Like uh, almost nobody, I'm sure there's a couple out there, but like almost nobody is viewing it through that lens. I think we often miss in talking about commitment that, that sailors are committed to each other and we see it very like rawly and intimately communicated on submarines, like especially during the submarine dolphin process. But like once you're in that brotherhood of the fin or which it's now like fraternity of the fin, cause we have female submariners, but it's like when you're, once you're in, it's like you, you don't really, you expect there to be like this crazy, like watershed moment. And then you're going to like walk into cruise lounge. They're going to shut the door and they're going to give you a secret decoder ring and teach you the handshake. But like, it doesn't really happen that way. It happens over a long period of time while you're serving on that submarine. And then you kind of look back and you're like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. it, I think we miss out on talking about that where, we were forced to rely heavily on one another. Right. And, and you talked about it on the first yeah. podcast we did about how you're properly qualified submariner now. And then the dryer lights on fire. Right. And you happen to be in the vicinity working out and you're grabbing a fire extinguisher and doing all the things you're supposed to do to respond to a casualty as a submariner. And every submariner in the vicinity was like, go away. Like, what are you doing? Because you're the doc, like, you're doc, yeah, you're, you're our only medical yeah. provider. So we're like, get to the unaffected space now and drink a cup of coffee until we send you casualties. Because that's how, like, we rely on you for that. We know that you're our only. So like, we know that we're gonna have to rely on you if we get hurt fighting this casualty. But you you got to see the response too, and the way that you were programmed to respond, and you see that like, look, these situations happen out of nowhere. They happen really quickly. Um, I've been in a smoke filled control room on a submarine and it's like, holy crap. But you like, then you see people respond and you see the training kick in and you see the the response happen and you see them fighting the ship. And it's like, everybody is responsible for that. Like I can't call nine one one underway on nuclear power on a submarine when we're under the waves. Like, yeah. So you, that commitment to one another, it's like, and, and it's probably, I, I wrote down, it's probably just a more manageable view for us. So like, it's like the way we can communicate it. And it's the way that we like manifest commitment is to each other instead of, because really each other is the country and the Navy and right. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm defending freedom by serving in the Navy. And it's like, I'm serving my Navy by forging these really intimate relationships with these sailors. So it's like probably just like a more, micro level view of that type of commitment but well, yeah it's all it's it's yeah, scalable yeah. it's um it's relative and it's scalable and you know like like you said we have a you know you, um it's real it's a really easy cross section of the navy on submarines it's you know we we are the only ones we right. can rely on but i think there is you know some some benefit to kind of talking about how I, I do have a, a little bit of experience in this. And I was, you know, prior to becoming a corpsman, I was an aviation machinist mate. And we always had these, these maintenance items called corrosion prevention maps or maintenance action forms. And um, they were usually like the undesirable jobs, like nobody really wanted to do them. But, you know, I, my LPO would say, Hey, airman blank, go knock out these CP maps on this, this bird and this bird. And I'm like, Oh man, I hate doing that. Like, I hate that job. And at the time it was hard for me to kind of see value in it. Yeah. Kind of see the why. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, with the importance of the equipment that we have or the, the systems that we're working on, or, you know, like every little piece is is vital to the overall execution of the mission. Like, and 
it, it is a trickle down. It's like the seven degrees of separation thing, right? We can't we can't go out there and support and defend the Constitution and freedom and democracy around the world if our ships aren't able to are breaking down and and uh, you know dead in the water. And we can't. So we have to keep our ships moving. Well, we can't keep our ships moving if we don't have qualified people yeah. standing those watches. And everything, everything builds on everything else. And the, you know, while the overarching umbrella mission is we defend freedom and democracy around the world, every little piece is important. And I took me a number of years in my career to really grasp that and realize that. So yeah, you may be out there chipping paint, but that's one less thing that's going to corrode. That's one system or structure that's not, that's not now not going to fail um, it's like a uh, field day on the submarine. Everyone's like, oh, we're just cleaning yeah, for time. Yeah. This is dumb. <laughs> Why? But, you know, you think about like the, the, the potential, the very real potential exists that, you know, all of that dust and all that smart dirt, um, <laughs> you know, gets uh, becomes like compounds a casualty yeah. and becomes a problem. You know, it may be like, oh, well, you know, we've got this this nasty looking, the, the bulkhead's got a smudge on it. Why do we care that the bulkhead's got a smudge on it? Well, the bulkhead is a representation yeah. of the ship. And if that bulkhead's dirty, if we're not taking pride in our ship or our cleanliness and preservation of that ship, then what else is wrong? Yeah, I look at it that and, way and um, I look at it like um, kind of the way you were describing it where it's like the corrosion and everything. It's like, look, man, like I, if it's my ship and I own that ship that's that's mine like it's a part of me it's a direct reflection of me it's like same thing i tell my cooks like the food you're putting on the line is a direct reflection of you and all these cooks right like it, it's affecting all of their reputations on the submarine it's like it's a little unique in that way and that we put our work out there on display for everybody to see every single day and then it's there to get judged and oh by the way we got this stupid comic card box so that they literally are encouraged to judge us but it's like the it's yeah it's the nature of what we do, but it's the same kind of thing with the ship and paint and preservation and stowage and all, all like the cleaning on during field day and all those things. It's like, man, this is, it's a reflection of us. And then when you get into like where you're cleaning on a bilge, it's like, it's, it's preservation and stuff. And I know it sucks. It's like that maintenance item, but it's got a legitimate function in that we have to maintain the material status of the ship it's like that's I, that thing's keeping me alive while we're out there operating so like yeah i'm gonna baby a little bit i think i'm gonna be nice to this and i'm gonna i'm gonna do the things that i need to to take care of it which involves cleaning it which is field day which is the thing that everyone hates so yeah for sure yep. um how do you know if a leader is committed to the team um, I think that they demonstrate it through their actions. Um, I think that, you know, you like it sometimes would entail putting in the hours. It sometimes would entail taking, you know, like getting your hands dirty. Yeah. That's um, the, yeah. and some, I think a big part of it is just communicating saying, Hey, you know, this is what we got to do. This is our, you know, this is our ship. This is our mission. This is our boat. This is what we're doing. And um, I think it's, I think again, commitment is demonstrated through action and again, it doesn't always entail because you you could stick around until 17, 18, 1900 every day and never get anything done. Or you can stick around until 17, 18, 1900 every day and you're you're working your hands to the bone. And it's it's one of those demonstrated. things. Yeah, I agree. Um, like, like how 
how much have you bought? I agree it? that it's it's action oriented. That like I because and I was talking to Jeff, and it's like I agree, but I kind of don't like where we were talking, basically talking about like because it was a quote from one of the lesson plans that what you do is more important than what you say, basically. And it's like I it's like I yeah. I agree with that, but then I kind of in a way I'm like well. A lot of times what you say is part of what you do. So I'm kind of like, like, like a sailor feels like you did something to them when you say just words, like when you interact with them in a certain way, good or bad. Like, so I was kind of like, I went back and forth about it, but it was, it, it, it's action oriented in that, like, I would spend time, like if, I, if I'm a cob, like on field day. I'm going to based on like inputs from the chiefs. Probably I'll be like, uh, all right, MDiv, pick a sailor. That's going to assign me a cleaning assignment during field day. And I'm going to get down in the dirtiest, nastiest spots that I can find. As long as the only thing I'm not going to do is small spaces. That's just, I'm not getting stuck somewhere. I'm skinny fat already. I don't need to be <laughs> getting like jaws of life out of a, out of a bilge, but like, yeah, like, okay, I'm going to go with MDiv today and you guys pick a sailor that's going to assign me my cleaning assignment for the day. Like, and that's what I'm, I'm going to go with wherever they tell me I got to clean. That's what I'm going to go do. Uh, I'll probably end up smashing trash a whole bunch, but whatever. It's not like that's new to me, but well, it's like, that's a, it, yeah, but that's, that's, that's going to be one of, that's going to be short. I, in my opinion, I think that's going to be short lived um, because after they seat. Well, so, you know, you're, you're always going to get, you know, the one sailor who thinks they're going ah, yeah, yeah, to yeah, stick yeah. it to chief and, Which, yeah. and make him, yeah. make him scrub these toilets, but you do it and you do it right. with a smile on your face and you, you show them that, you know, what you're doing, you know, Hey, you're not, first off, you're not above that yeah. job. And second, you, you are demonstrating the importance of keeping the right. Ship That's clean. the key um, is, is it always irked me that, that we, I, I had leadership that would say like uh why aren't you guys doing this thing this thing is important we need to get out there and do this this is lacking blah blah and it, like so take cleanliness of the ship like for example but then during cleanup ship or field day they're nowhere to be seen and it's just like hmm yeah like, so it's important to you well, but it's, it's not important to you <laughs> like one one of the best one of the best things i ever heard on board mm -hmm. used to fish was one of our junior officers saying, I think it's absolutely shameful that we have officer yeah, training 100%. during field day. Is this 100%. not our ship? And I went, oh my gosh. I, both, I, and you both of my supply officers said the same thing. Like one of them cleaned. Yeah. Like she would she would go if they made her, but then if not, she would be cleaning on the Mestex. And then the, the second one, she didn't have the juice to wheeze a lot of officer training, but like, because the first one was like a yeah. full lieutenant and the second one was a brand new baby ensign. But she, if she got the opportunity, boy, she was in there with her sleeves rolled up cleaning too. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I guarantee yep. the division was like, yep. hell yeah. They like, loved this it, man. Awesome. She'd go in there and cook. Like, she would beg me to cook and then she'd go, yeah, she'd go in there and hang out in the galley and they loved having her in there. So it was like, yeah, I, 100%. And, and that went a long way with them, I'm sure. But, I I agree. And that's a thing that I will go to war over. It's like, you want to have officer training? Do it another time. I just, no. Yeah. Not during, I will adjust field day hours to accommodate officer training if that's what you like. If you guys got to do officer training on Saturday morning, do it from seven to eight and we'll start field day at eight. But like, just no, like this is not a thing. Or like, it's strictly held to an hour. And then once that hour's over, y'all are out there like something. I, I will. Because I, I I agree. I think it's disgusting. I think it's just a really, really bad look for those 
those leaders. It's like it's not it it definitely harms the relationship between because that's a great opportunity for the officers and enlisted to build like a rapport and a relationship, like a professional relationship, but a relationship for them to, it's something that they can relate. And that shared adversity concept, it's like, nobody likes fielding, but if the officers can do it, you know, if, if Cobb can get in the bilge, it shows ownership. It show, it demonstrates ownership. And, uh, and again, that commitment piece, you know, it really shows that you're, you're in it to win it. And hey, we're we are all in the same yep. people tube. Yeah, and that was something together. like it was. You know? I was kind of thinking about it, but there's a lot of ideas that I have about what should be done, and I'm sure none of like some of them them will never be validated until I try them, and then they might be wrong. But uh, I went to a Cobb Qual appointment with a Cobb that I, I've talked about them generally on the podcast, where it's like I I stepped down on a submarine for an inspection, and it was like it just felt different, and then. It, the best command culture I've ever seen on a submarine uh, with the ex- like, I- I'd say it parodied the projects platform I was on. But yeah, it was best, best culture I've ever seen. And I want I wanted to talk to him and he's since selected for CMC and gone to a shore command here where he's the command master chief. But I went to see him for Cobb calls um, and had that type of conversation with him. And he he said one of the like pieces of advice was uh, in, in like leading the chief's mess was like, you got to make them love you. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> I can't make them love me. He's like, you just do things that it makes it like almost impossible for them not to want to follow you. And he's like, and I was like, so what's an example of, of something that, that made it so that they were inspired to follow you instead of like junior sailors. I feel like, I mean, that's, it's pretty easy. In a, in a way, but like it's different with chiefs because it's a little more challenging because it's like it's just different. They're they've been around longer. They've seen more. So I was like, how do you do that? Like, I understand pretty much, I think, what it would take. I mean, I could just serve dinosaur nuggets and mac and cheese every day and sailors would love me. I like I would be canonized. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember we we had a we had a conversation. They, specifically they build a about statue that. for me on the Mestex, but <laughs> yeah, I I'll never forget. I know, and I no, I'm sorry, fine. I know that this is off topic, but we, we uh, baby CS made curry yeah. oh rice, my God. yeah, and I was like, wow, like I got a big spoonful of that, and I was like, wow, yeah. this is great. And you're like, submariners don't want to eat good food. They want to eat chicken yeah. nuggets yep. and corn dogs. They're, well, they're, and God bless him. Like he children. was trying and he was being creative and what, and it's like, look, man, like I get what you, I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm a hundred percent on board with your intent, but curry brown rice, like throw that in the garbage right now. I was like, this is not like, and it's not like if it had been something that was more widely acceptable and he had done, like he had done some creative style of rice that would have been appealing to a wider audience. I would have been on board with it, but it was pretty niche. And like, I didn't, I didn't even taste it. I don't, I might've tasted it later because he, he can't, he was like, no, I mean, it's actually good, but it's like, the the number of the, yeah. the percentage I'm, of the crew that appreciates curry on board a nuclear submarine at sea is single digits. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, we 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 were hurt before. Yeah, by right. the Mediterranean and that's, rice, I had so. I had flashbacks <laughs> and I was just like, no, get rid of that right now. So, yeah, it, um, but 
getting down in the bilge and cleaning, I think like that kind of stuff. It, 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 it goes, speaks it for me. Way. It's like, I don't need to say I, it, it, it's a giant gulf. And I had, we had a share, a shared experience with a cob that would do a lot of saying and not a lot of doing right. He would say a lot of things were important, yeah. but he wouldn't do them. And so like, the experience of saying field day is really important, but all he would do is walk around and coke and joke with people he ran into during field day and he'd shine a flashlight down and, you know, Hey, make sure you get that. And, you know, like that kind of stuff. And it's cause I think it's what he thought he was supposed to be doing, but I think part of it was a little yeah. bit of laziness too. Like he knew that he could probably inspire a lot more followership out of getting down there and cleaning, but it's like, it's like that. It, it probably felt above and beyond versus required. And in my mind, it's like, it's basically required. I just think it's the right way of doing it. I, I don't think I'm going to get the buy-in that I, and like, not that I, I would probably, I would venture to guess, and I can almost guarantee you that I won't be able to do that every single field day. Right. But I'm going to do it enough no. that it's pretty normal and that I'm going to have E5 and E4 sailors run around telling uh, sailors on other submarines that their cob gets down in the bilge and field days with them. And it's like, that's a well, thing that I mean, they're going to be proud of. They're going to like be rubbing it in yeah, their face well, almost, you know? And, and there was, I'll see if I can find it, but um, did you see the, uh, there was a Navy times, you know, Navy mm -hmm. times article showing the commanding officer. Yeah. The yeah. I shared watch. that picture and a lot of people said it was staged and all this other crap, but I'm just like, even if it was that, even if it was that dude still relieved the watch and he was still carrying a, it like, even if yep, it was that man. was not that was not a staged yeah. watch stander like you can like well, I can see people that are gaffing off on his, watch. They were I eating look his at soul that. on like Reddit and Facebook because they were saying the magazines were empty and all this other. And I'm like, I couldn't see it. But like there's a whole bunch of keyboard cowboys that were like eating his soul like it can't be real. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I if I were a junior sailor and maybe maybe I'm completely naive in this, um, I, I guess I still to, you know, to a point, I am still a junior sailor. Um, but I, seeing my commanding officer, you know, stand that, you know, even if it's for an hour, yeah, for a head yeah. Call, even if he just know, was I, I would guy be break all, like even like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Well, even if because that's what I was saying, like, even if it was staged, there's an E4 somewhere that wasn't on watch like for an, at least an hour. So who cares? Like, yeah. I mean, if he was doing it because he just wanted to like it was almost like when people stage fake like like they're standing in front of a Ferrari that's not theirs on social media, like and acting like it is or whatever. Yeah. Like if he's doing it for that reason, for like the ego stroke. OK, I understand why that there's not much gained there. Sure. Um, but I don't think that's what was happening there. I don't think that that CO was like just doing it for an ego stroke. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know the guy. I don't know the command. I don't know the culture, but I, I liked it. All yeah. I know is I, I don't, I don't remember the CO's name. I don't remember what ship he was on. All I remember is seeing a full yeah. bird captain in, you know, in a, in a, uh, a sappy carrier holding a, holding a yep. firearm, standing watch, yeah. looking over the side. And I went, that is the type of leader right. I want to hundred percent. And there's that I shared you know. one too of a, um, an admiral that was from like, a am trying to like some task force level or something. He was some admiral that was in command of a bunch of ships, essentially like a bunch of different groups of ships and what I don't know. I don't speak surface fleet that well, but 
he would he came down to a ship and participated in a fire drill and there's pictures of that like where he i mean i'm talking donned an ffe and scba and was participating in a fire drill with the duty section and i'm like even yeah. if it's a photo op that dude does not have to do that like that's and yeah but like think about the traditional photo ops yeah. though if they wanted it to be like a right. publicity thing they would have been serving well, food and on Christmas. if an m if an admiral is going to board a ship and their flag aide knows about it the pao and mc1 are going with them ask me how i know like i watch my yep. two star walk yeah. around it's like he doesn't ask them to come they just come because it's their job to be in the right place to take those pictures when the things are happening. So it's like either the PAO or the, I mean, it's like, I guess they're like an APA. Like we have like a, a Lieutenant and then we have an MC one. And so it's like one of them is going to be wherever he goes with a camera. That's just how that works. It's why we have a PAO. So it's like, it's not like this dude handed a cell phone to somebody and created this photo op. It's like, that's not how an admiral's life is documented. He forgets the cameras there half the time. It's just his life now. And it's been that way since probably in some degree, since he was a Commodore and then just on his way up, it's like he put on a one star and then he put on a second star and he's probably going to put on a third star and he's probably going to put on a fourth star. And that's just his life. Now he's been living that way for four or five years, probably at this point. And he does it's not you know what i mean like does he know the camera's there if you asked him yeah but in the moment when he's interacting with sailors unless he's like grinning and shaking someone's hand like he's not paying attention to if and when a picture's getting taken so it's like he's yeah like my admiral is like so geeked about interacting with submariners half the time and he's a big fan of food service so he always like goes into the galley and hangs and he just wants to interact with those sailors he gets so pumped up about it that like He's not thinking about that. He's thinking about like, I get to play on a submarine today. I get to interact with submarines. Yeah, I miss being a commanding officer and the, doing this stuff, doing this stuff. So, yeah, their life has got to be there's got to be a yeah. level of boredom associated with that. And, and probably a little bit of loneliness, yeah, too. For and sure. Like you, you know, you go back on sure. you go back into those, you know, like on the deck plate or in the yeah. galley or, you know, wherever. And it kind of harkens back to the days when and then, you were, yeah, you know, yeah. you had, yeah. you had friends, you didn't have, we're a bunch probably of people answering you, more know? of the caring questions now. So I'm going to transition into this. Cause yeah. like, dude, that, that <laughs> is how you demonstrate that stuff. But, and could you do it yep. in a vacuum where like you tell the MC one to stay home and the Admiral just goes down on the ship and does that thing. Sure. Like you put it, it's just yeah. the nature of the beast is somebody's going to take a freaking picture of that. Like it, even if he did, if that yeah. CO, even if he had done it spontaneously, those pictures would have been all over the internet anyway, because there's his sailors would have been like, Holy crap. The CO's on watch. Like, like I had our, yeah, yeah. somebody I did something bad. Well, I had our last CO. <laughs> I had to, I needed a head call like impossibly bad. And it was the mid watch and the CO was about to go to the rack and he offered to relieve me as dive. And I'm like, I don't even know if that's allowed, but like, if you tell me it's okay and this isn't a trap, I'll accept it. But like, he's like, yeah, and no, I can totally relieve you. And like, the only reason he didn't do it is because the guy that I had woken up walked in right as he was about, like he was going to relieve me. And I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, I feel like this is cool, but like, whatever you're the CEO. I mean, you're the qualifier for dive. So I imagine you're allowed to do that, but what, I mean, <laughs> I did hear, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually was talking to um, a couple of the chiefs out here, uh, not yeah. from my command, but just from the, mm -hmm. the local area. 
Um, and that exact thing happened. One of them yeah. was sitting dive and the captain comes up and, uh, and asked him, you know, it says, Hey, I'm here for your, I'm here. Yeah, for your I mean, this feels and like a says, trap, but okay. Uh, <laughs> he, he looks at him and this is a, you know, this yeah. is a senior chief that's, I, you know, on probably on yep. his third boat. And he's like, uh, are you, are I, you sure? I was like, confused. What did yeah. I do something wrong? And he said, no, I, you know, I, instead of waking somebody else up, I'll take it. I'm already up. And, uh, and he did. And so let me let me go ahead and read this and then we'll keep talking. So uh, caring is defined as the displaying of kindness and concern for others. So we'll get into like, what does the definition mean to you? And and uh, we'll get into the quote stuff, too. And then we can keep talking about the same thing, because that's basically where we were at anyway. Yeah. Um, so caring, um, it's it is concern for others. It's um, having that, you know, kind of uh, sympathy or empathy. Right. Um, feeling a certain way for, for somebody else, you know, um, having a general, um, and genuine interest in the well being of somebody else. Um, it, it's, it's not hard to do. It's, um, although I don't know, I would argue that, you know, some people have forgotten how easy it is just to think about other people once in a while, but you know, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's just, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, you know, trying to do right by them because you, you know how they feel or you can, you can imagine yeah. how they and feel. I, like we were talking about before, it's like, I think you, you demonstrate it through actions much as you would with uh, the previous topic, but it's like the showing you care is like, it's, it's the humanization piece. I talk about humanizing leaders a lot where, where there's this weird, artificial divide that we create between chiefs and junior enlisted. And then we struggle to bridge that gap for the rest of the time that we're a chief because it's like, I need them to talk to me. We're going to talk about communication next. It's like, I need them to communicate with me. I need them to trust me so that they will honestly communicate with me. I need them to, to be able to trust me when I direct them to do something. So I wish we spent more time on that. I wish we, and I, I like, it's really emotional intelligence. Like I, I did an episode with, uh, GM2 Taylor, who I Amber that I, I'm constantly talking to. Uh, she's out now. Obviously, she's a social worker and um, really amazing at it. And it, it, she's one of those people that I've, I've I've spent a lot of time at dissecting emotional intelligence and just talking about why it's not a bigger piece of what we do as leaders. Like I wish we spent more time discussing and understanding it because I think if you did, you wouldn't be creating as big of a divide and all these artificial barriers to the things that we need, like trust and communication and, and all all the, the things that we're constantly fighting f- to establish with our junior sailors so that we can do right by them as leaders. It's like you have to care first. And it's like it's one of those things that you can't fake it. I think a lot of time people try to do that as well. It's like because they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be humanized. And they feel like they feel weak and like exposed when they put themselves in that situation. And it, it, like in a small way, I guess you are. That's why it's uncomfortable. And that's why people don't like to do it. But it's like you you have to allow them to see like your human side a little bit or they're not going to be able to relate to you and they're not going to trust you and they're not going to be willing to share those things. So it's like one of the stupid easy ways that I, I always default to this because the story like the not story, but like the experience sticks out in my mind uh, really glaringly is when we're sharing adversity, which for me, a lot of the times was during the import period was stores loads because it's just brutal no matter what platform you're on. 
It's always yeah. everybody like oh, I yeah. thought coming into boomers, it was going to be a joke because you get mods and you pull the LET out and you crane it all down. And it's like it's like Legos. It's super easy. It's not. It's it's it never works yeah. out the way it's supposed to. And it's never. Well, you yeah. still have to count yeah. all that food. You still have to make sure it's well, good, getting it on know. the submarine. And yeah, it's, it's always it always devolves into an 18 to 20 hour day, three days in a row. And by the it's like it's just brutal. So um, in that shared adversity, I would f- whenever it was kind of like you I'd monitor the pulse of everybody because I'm running around supervising most of the time. Like sometimes I'm humping food, but most of the time I'm running around coordinating and making sure everybody has what they need to get the thing done. But you kind of feel the frustration and, and energy level diving, frustration level rising like hey, it's starting to peak where people are snapping at each other and boiling over a little bit and that's the time of of day where sometimes i did it sometimes my supply officer did it because she she was always involved and always there and always wanting to do something for the guys and so i go on a drink run go on a food run it's the simplest thing in the world right and i will happily go spend 50 bucks at the mini next to come back with everybody's favorite drink and like just a just a assortment of like energy drinks and whatever other stuff that i know they like and just walk around like Santa Claus and they're just like, oh, thank God. You know what I mean? Like, and it's it's a tiny thing. It's a tiny gesture in the grand scheme of things. But the fact that I registered those things, took the time to like and, you know, the trek from the submarine up to the mini next. It's not a small feat because I got got to walk half a mile to get to your car and then lose your parking spot yep. and go up to you you drive legitimately like 10 minutes to get to the mini next uh through all the security checkpoints and then you know I'm, I'm spending my own money on it i didn't ask them for i didn't go collect money from people to go do a drink run and then yeah. buy it all for them they didn't even ask for it and then i come back down and distribute those drinks so like what am i accomplishing there i'm demonstrating to them that i care about them and that i we're all in this together we're all in this shared adversity getting through this challenge together like and that I I got their back and we're we're going to keep pushing and it's not it's not that bad right like like cuz we've I've gotten to the place where uh, on the projects platform we would do everything on swings so I would come in in the morning do the normal chief things go to the meetings monitor the meals all that crap and then 15 1600 rolls around and my stevedores are showing up and my food's showing up and the rest of my cooks are showing up and then we go tell one in the morning and then I would go home and do it again and again and again for like five days straight. Yep. So if anybody needs to melt down, it's probably me. But uh, the the guys would even fray, you know, like we'd get to the point where all this crazy stuff would happen and everything was going wrong. And you're just sitting there it like it's just like that meme where everything's on fire and the little girl's on the swing and she's just like, this is fine. Like, it's like that where it's like everything's <laughs> on fire and you just you're looking around and you're just you get to the point where you just start laughing at how absurd everything is. And it's like that. That's what would happen. But you'd have that shared moment of camaraderie and we would take that pause. Everybody would take a knee, take a breath, drink your drink, enjoy your snack or your food or like because like chop would go get a sack of McDonald's burgers and come back down and just. All right, everybody take 10 and we're going to sit down and smash a bunch of McDonald's burgers really quick and laugh at how ridiculous our lot in life is and then go back to our commiseration of getting this thing tied off, you know, and that's a, it's yeah. a, it's a little thing that, cause I think not that you can't demonstrate caring all the time. Cause it's not like I didn't do that when we weren't com- in the most miserable scenario ever, but there were other mechanisms for demonstrating it's, that to your people. And I just think it's like, it goes so far, man. 
it means so much to them. Well, yeah. I mean, you, uh, uh, in, in my, in kind of my, I guess, swim lane, one person operation. And I, there was never a time I was not busy, but you, every once in a while you'd be storming I mean, down takes, the P way. It takes a lot of bandwidth to binge watch somebody. every season of game of Thrones. It does. You're right. And you know, it takes a lot of time management and planning. And I mean, you probably and, had a spreadsheet and, uh, with like a little color coded system to organize and track. I, I did, but what nobody really saw was, um, I was in, I was up from right around 6am until about three, about zero three, yeah. zero three yeah. thirty every day. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the reason for that was, you know, I, I normally said, it was because I didn't want anyone to say, oh, Doc's always yeah. in the rack, you know? I mean, we said um, that anyway, just to you be know, fair. But, but. <laughs> I completely, yeah, absolutely, as expected. But I didn't want me being in the rack to be a barrier to somebody seeking yeah, seeking yeah. me out. Um, and, and it happened, right? It, it did. Um, there were times that I would take some time for myself, go burn a flick in my rack, and, uh, you know, I'd hear somebody whispering outside, like, hey, is yeah. Doc in the rack? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll just find him later. And then I, I come out there and, you know, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest and fair. Um, it wasn't all the time that I would do this, but I would go out there and be like, what's going on? What's wrong? Yeah. Um, but, you know, being being busy, having a million things going on, storming down the P way with a, a stack full of folders and you got to yeah. go and brief the captain. You got to go brief the XL on something. And one of your junior sailors comes up to you and says, Doc, do you have a second? And you know, in the back of your head, you're like, nope. I'm already five minutes late to this meeting. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have a second, but you know what? I, 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 you kind of have to, yeah. I do have yeah. time. I do have time. Um, I'm not, I, I lack the, um, I lack the, the power, um, the superpower of creating time. Um, you know, I have a finite amount of time in my day. And, um, so the only thing I can do is, you know, I, if I've got time to sleep, I've got time, you know, to, to do this yeah. thing, or if I've got, you know, and it's that, it's that five seconds or, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. What, what's going on? What do you need? Um, and they go, well, Hey, I just wanted to show you this cool thing that I got. And you take even one second to just go, Hey man, that's pretty cool. Um, do you, Hey, are you going to be around in a little bit? Can I've got to go and run, talk to the captain, talk to the XO real quick. Um, but I want to hear yeah. about this. I've never seen this before. You know, you show you, and it's, it doesn't have to be feigned interest. Right. You right. show, you can show a genuine level of interest and in what's important to them. And uh, e- even if it's something that like is not very exciting um, or not, it has zero interest. You know, my, I didn't, I didn't care about, um, you know, I didn't care about all the stuff that, you know, everybody on board was interested in, but somebody was like, Hey, check this out, doc. Look at this. I'd be like, Oh man, that's actually pretty cool. And I cared more about the interaction I had with the people than I did about, you know, what we were actually talking about. Um, and I, I actually had one of, um, you know, one of the, uh, CMCs out here was like the five minutes you take, that's going to make you late to a meeting could, could be the difference between that person, writing you off completely or saying, Hey, they actually yeah, do care, yeah. you know, and you do, you do demonstrate that, you know, our, our job is pretty much boiled down into three things and it's um, it's people equipment and, and uh, readiness, you know, and um, people is For number sure. one. We, 
our our job is people. So if we if they don't think that you care, if they stop coming to you, it's like uh, Colin Powell's yeah. uh, quote. You know, <laughs> the moment your soldiers stop coming to you with issues is the moment you fail. You you've is the moment you yep, fail to be their 100%. leader. And that's you know, I really like that resonates with me, especially being a corpsman. Um, you know, it, like my job is to take care of the 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 crew. My job is to care about these people and. You know, that's, that is what I, I, I have a vested, I would tell the guys I have a vested interest in them and their, and their well being. And, um, you know, I honestly feel like I walked off of that boat knowing that yeah. I did a good job. I think that's fair. You know, um, so let's get to this quote. So we moved on to caring. Uh, and the quote from the book is to have empathy, compassion, and consideration is an essential aspect of effective leadership. How do you feel about that? Yeah, if you at some point we've been in the situations that the sailors have, that the sailors are going through, in some point, maybe not. I mean, maybe not even personally, but we know somebody that has. Um, you know, and you have to have you have to be able to kind of feel what they're feeling, uh, to have that empathy or or even like a, can relate to what they're feeling, um, and you know you you got to have compassion, right? People people are people sailors are people and you know what what may not be very important to you may be like life changing to them and uh they you have you have to just look at these people like they're human beings and i think sometimes the military doesn't do a good job about remembering that service members are people and if we take even if we take just make make a, a slightly concerted effort to treat sailors as people to, you know, and make them, uh, make them or show them that we care, you know, the time isn't, you know, we're not always going to have the opportunity to do that, but, um, based off of what we've got going on, um, you know, sometimes you just have to say, Hey, listen, I need you, I need you right now to just, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and get to work. Um, but you definitely owe them, you know, that, that interaction later on, once things kind of cool down and you, you sit there and you go, Hey, listen, what's going on? Like, let me, let me help you. I want to help you. I think that you're talking about like the, the, the time that you take with that sailor being not like, not as significant to you as it could be to them. And one of the things that like shocks me to this day, cause like I've been doing this so long, I've, it's almost like I've had the time to allow the leadership to come back around and, and, see the effects of it later on and i and what is always shocking to me is like a sailor will tell me that man you said this thing to me once and it like blew my mind or it changed the way i thought about this or it helped me so much and then they'll tell me what they told me or what i told them sorry and i like have no idea what they're talking about like i i don't remember the interaction at all like there's moments that i remember that were heavy to me or impactful to me or that i like i i thought i was like affecting a sailor in a big way. Right. But more often than not, what I get back is like some random thing. I apparently said to someone that I can't even recall saying, like, I don't, I don't even remember that moment, which is, is awesome to me in a way because it, I, it's like, Oh, okay. Even when I'm not thinking about it, or even when I don't realize the gravity of the moment, I'm generally doing the right thing to help that sailor out. And and I'm at least respecting the importance of that moment by, giving them what they need, even though like it wasn't, I didn't feel the gravity of the situation at the time. And perhaps I should have, but like 
even in those moments, I, I'm apparently doing something right. Like, so, so that was what yeah. always, was always shocking to me is like having that in your mind that like make the time. And if you can't, if it's impossible in that moment, you better come back around and, and close that loop because I feel like I, I try to almost do what you did all the time where it's like, I, okay, I'm dropping what I'm doing because I feel like I can't walk away from this because I might forget. And it's like, if I forget to like, Hey man, give me like 15 minutes. And then and it's like, they're probably never going to come back and you're probably going to forget. Just like I forgot my train of thought a second ago. Like I, it's like, I, and I'll probably edit that out, but I'm just saying like I, that happens to me so often. Like I'll be thinking about a thing and then I'll, it's, it was like it's there and then it's gone. So it's like I, in that moment, I it's like well, yeah. I'm going to make the time to talk to that sailor. Yeah. And it's, you know, like to to be fair here, like there's where again, we're all human and we forget stuff. Oftentimes it's yeah. it's not intentional. You know, I don't think that. I, I don't know that I've ever met somebody that was blatantly and like irrevocably just, I guess, disconnected or um, didn't like I've never really met somebody that truly didn't care. Even even oh, the I bad have. leaders that I've had in Stick my around own, for a while. I, I really I don't want them. They're rare, <laughs> but you're going to you're going to meet one. Um, and they they probably yeah. were not. I mean, even even the. Yeah, I mean, there's, I for whatever reason, you know, people people do that. Um, but even the bad leaders that I had, you know, you there wasn't a question that they, you know, their heart was in the right place. Maybe it was just their their head wasn't, and maybe they weren't thinking about things when they said things. Or, but again, you like it, those lessons are 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 those uh, situations or circumstances are uh, hard to forget when you're on the receiving end of those things, you know, for sure. We talked about, so we're on to communicating Uh, definition of communicating is defined as the share or exchange of information, news or ideas. Uh, So what does that definition mean to you? It's um, opening your face hole and people (laughs) taking in their things into their ear holes Um, and vice versa. You know, it's a, it's like I think the key word in there is the exchange sure, of information because right. um, a, a lot of times people think that, you know, they're communicating just by like, yeah, opening yeah. their mouth and words tumbling out. But it's not really communicating if you're not getting mm-hmm. the feedback. Um, and we've got the, you know, different models of communication. You got the sender yeah, and the yeah. receiver. The classic and you know, like little arrow all model that. and all the it goes here and then it comes back. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And I. It's it's a mutual exchange where you're the I feel yeah I feel like sharing sharing and exchanging is like that's the key words in that definition is like you're sharing or exchanging you're not it's not a one way thing and it's even even if you think you are it's like you got there's a whole bunch of like getting the feedback to make sure they comprehend blah 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 like removing barriers all those yep. things so I have a whole episode on it go check it out effective communication I think it's called active communication it was a long time ago but. Um, but yeah, man, it's like it, it's really important that it's a shared process and that you're constantly working on it because it's, there's so many times where I'll have a conversation with somebody and I thought I said one thing and they told receive something totally different because they're judging not just the words coming out of your mouth, but your body language, your expression, your demeanor, like the tone of your voice, how you, how you say what words you chose, all those things. So. 
And, and a lot of times you, you can end up almost like you're at the end of a telephone game with 100 people where it's like you said one thing, but they heard something completely different. Um, so I'll read the quote. Uh, so people want to be inspired by the leader who provides a sense of purpose and a reason for commitment to the team's effort. Uh, and so that's uh, obviously related to the point of communicating is, is that they want to be inspired by their leader who provides and gives them a sense of purpose and a reason for commitment to the team's efforts. So what do you think about that? So I think that uh, in order to achieve that, um, to achieve that inspiration, the communication piece um, is giving them the the reason for commitment. You know, this, the sense of purpose and reason for commitment is, is, uh, is huge. People, you know, people understand the, the how a lot of times, like, especially in like some of the technical ratings, they understand the how, but maybe not always the why, like I know how to swab a deck, but why am I doing this right right now? And I think it's important that we bridge, we bridge the gap between that. Uh, We are like a lot of people want to, uh, want to basically talk crap on like millennials and zennials and yeah, I I hate those labels. Yeah. Oh, they're always asking, like they're always questioning. It's so, it's such, it's so so lazy. It's like, but why, but you know, what's, what's wrong with somebody wanting to know why they should do this thing? Uh, You know, it's not necessarily questioning authority. It's, you know, Hey, give me the information so I can, you know, I'm only seeing things from my rung of the ladder. You're at the top of the ladder. I, I would like to. It's not always effect. It's not always uh, realistic, right? In some circumstances or some cases, you you just don't have right. the time or the bandwidth to do it. But it's uh, you know, you get a lot more buy-in when people kind of see the big picture, or you give them, you know, you give them kind of that that big picture yeah. approach. Like this is why we need to do this because three months down the line we have to do this. Eight months from here, we got this, you know, this is why we're doing this right now. You know, I had, uh, again, referencing back to previous uh, leadership examples, I had one senior chief that would share everything with us. She'd say, HM2, I need you to do this because we got this coming up. I'm like, all right, easy day. Awesome. I'll get right on that. When do you need it by? And then she retired and I got her relief stepped in and was, uh, she would just Feed. She would feed you the information. Like, I need you to do this. Okay. Why? Because I said so. Well, that's all right. I will do it. You know, I was going to do it because you said so anyway. Yeah. But I'm not now. I now I don't really feel like I right. And it's like yeah. Now it's it's no longer like you get a better product from people that want to do something than you do from people that are doing it because of the obligation. Right. Hundred percent. And yeah, like that's the part that. I, about the asking why piece and the stupid, I hate the generational labels because so much of it is based on like you're you're making a snap judgment about an age group when really it it's a weird demographic of Americans or like developed world even like teens and and or a, a group of people I guess it depends on like it's just based on the year you're born but it's like man like people from different areas contexts the way they were raised, everything plays into it. And it's just like, it's never the same. So it's like, I get, I get how those things happen. Like broad sweeping generalizations happen because there is a group of people somewhere that it can be applied to at least in some degree. 
but it's like it's not always true and that's what i feel it's like this cop out where we're saying oh it's this age group so they must be like that and the, the reason is because that's just how millennials are and it's like that's stupid that's uneducated it's intellectually yeah. lazy it's and i hate it yeah it's I inaccurate hate, yeah it is it's I inaccurate hate it. but yeah i mean it's as far as like what you were describing just now is as like the the getting people to perform because you take the time to explain why i'm like that's just like good leadership development for that it's like eventually they are you're my hm2 is going to be relieving senior chief so it's like i need them to understand the why when i have the ability and time to explain it to them because eventually they're going to have to make these decisions and then task sailors with these tasks and be in the position that i'm in so outside of just getting the the response that you need as a leader, which is them doing the thing you need them to do because they want to do it. Uh, I mean, that's the best way of doing it, but it's, I also need them to be equipped to be in this leadership position when they arrive at it, which is like the whole point of the discussion we're having right now is, is that we need these selectees to be ready to, to relieve chiefs. And it's like, that's why you need to take that time to make your sailors understand the why when it makes sense. Cause there are, I, like you said, there's obviously going to be times where I'm going to tell that sailor, go do this right now and don't ask why. But if you take the time over a period of time to explain the why to that sailor, when those occurrences happen, where you're like, do this right now, they're not going to ask you why they're going to go do it right now because you're going to foster right. that trust right. that you're, Hey, I, he's not just telling me to do this dumb stuff because uh, because he's, you know, he's a jerk right. or whatever, right? It's, hey, he's obviously got a good reason why he's not, you know, giving me the why right now, or hey, he's, he, he'll let me know what's going on later. And I, like, I, I don't know, I, maybe it's, maybe it's my generation. I really feel more compelled to pull in unison when, when I understand what, what it is we're pulling and where we're going. Right. Moving on to community. So community is defined as a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. So, you know, what does that definition mean to you? And then we'll move on to the quote. We, uh, we are United. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, yeah, we're, we're bonded or are bound by our, our mutual uh, experience in the military, um, our mutual, like, you know, we're, we are all in the United States Navy and uh, we're, we're, we're service members, right? So yeah, that's and then one the community. Subcategories. Um, you know, you got subcategories of submariners, you've got air, air like, communities, yeah. you've got surface communities, you've got, and then you've got the chiefs, yep. you've got the war ratings to, you know, yeah, like um, you're a, you're a CS, you're an yeah, HM. You're absolutely. hundred yeah, percent. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's really what community is. It's, it's having something in common with a group gotcha. of people. Okay. So then the quote from the book, leadership involves regard for community when creating teamwork, pretty straightforward stuff. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> what does it mean to you as a leader? And then we'll just go right to the, how do you know if a leader develops a fellow, a feeling of fellowship with, with others? Cause like, yeah, I mean, the quote is pretty straightforward, but I'll let you start with that. And then we'll talk about how, how a leader develops that. And how do you know? It really is straightforward. And I think a leader to regard for community when creating teamwork, I, you cannot, you will not have teamwork if you don't have a team. Um, and, uh, I think it's, it's imperative on not just, not just the leader, but the, the group 
um, at large to develop that type of community. And I think, I think in some cases it's, it's an involuntary process. It's the whole, like, you can't pick your neighbors type thing. And, uh, you know, you're part of a community because you are working in the same square footage on board a, a naval vessel or, or at a shore, at a shore command or whatever, but it's, um, a good leader is going to, is going to kind of foster that sense of unity and, and unit cohesion and develop that team into a community. Like, like, uh, I don't know, like the chief's mess. Um, we are a community, um, far reaching. It's, there's a lot of us, you know, some of us hate each other. Some of us love each other. And, you know, it's, it's, it's developing your division or developing your work center into a team or into a, a family in some cases or what have you. Yeah. You know, I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that a leader that fosters that fellowship, the, the way that they, they demonstrate that is by, um, by exactly that they kind of nurture and foster a sense of belonging and a sense of teammate yeah. team membership. And I, I think that there's a, a number of different ways to do that. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to, again, effectively communicating and, and knowing the people that you work with and the people that, that are in your yeah. community. And um, I think, As a leader, it's really important to be like a good steward of that community, too, because I feel like like I walked into a situation where and you're you're very familiar with it, where um, we had one kid that was like the odd man out. Like they just he he got ostracized from the group based on a history of like not getting qualified and not grasping concepts. So he wasn't he basically wasn't useful for for the division. And unfortunately, the, the guy that I relieved kind of just let that fester like he didn't do anything about fixing the problem and so when i showed up i mean we're a year and a little over a year in at this point where he'd gotten his dolphins barely but that was it like they didn't yeah. make him qualify or anything so he wasn't u- he wasn't useful so to them that, that's that's a, that's a bad thing and they're exercising a a really crude form of like group accountability but it this sailor doesn't feel like he's a valuable contributing member of the team. Like he doesn't feel like he's a part of the group. And, and furthermore, they're they're like attacking him. I mean, they like make fun of him overtly, like in public all the time. They're constantly just eating this kid's yeah. soul. And so I walk in, it's like one of the first things I notice. I'm like, oh, okay, gotta fix that. And so like as I after I relieve, I got the guys together and I'm like, stop. Like just stop destroying this kid's will to live like the the one that's how like suicides happen Two, if you ever want this kid to contribute you have to bring him in and make him part of the team and it's counter got to make him feel right. like he matters like he's like you got to make him feel like he well, yeah and it's be counterintuitive there, you know? because they're like well no he sucks so we have to hold him accountable somehow and I'm like, look, man, like if yeah. you guys treat him like crap all the time, why would he want to help you? And I know it feels like you're putting the cart before the whole cart before the horse. Yeah, cart before the horse. And I make sure I get my stupid analogies right or my mouth. But like <laughs> check it before the egg or whatever. But like, yeah, it, you're putting the cart before the horse in that like you're gonna give him something. You're gonna reward him before he it merits it. And I understand why that's counterintuitive, and I understand why that feels wrong. But the only way that this gets fixed is if you guys stop 
destroying him all the time and bring him into the fold and try to like, you got to spend the time trying to train him, even though it's going to feel like you're beating your head against the wall and you, you got it. You got to try to make him useful. It's going to take time to repair this, which, Oh, by the way, like you guys did this like, and and yes, I'm sure he was underperforming for whatever reason, but that could have probably gotten quickly corrected a year ago. But now there's like scar tissue and you got it's going to take a second to get past those barriers that he's built up because he thinks you guys hate him. It's going to take time to bring him in and be part of the team. And it's so it's like you've got to you've got to create a community in that way. And I actually wrote down as I was going through and, and putting notes on the uh, the training plan that when I read the quote, leadership involves regard for community when creating teamwork, I, I said probably better phrased as you will not successfully establish teamwork without regard for community. Like if you don't build a community, you're never going to have a group of people working together as a team. Like if they don't feel like they're part of that community, then they're never going to contribute to the team. Like, and it's, it, you're just replacing the word team with community, but it's, it, you're never going to feel like a, you're a valuable contributing member of the team. If you're not pulled in and brought in and that like, feel like, Oh yeah, I'm part of this. Like, this is my community. Um, even if they're not valuable contributing member yet, even if they're the weakest link, it's like you still have to get behind them and push. And if you don't do that and you're, you're eating your own, it's like, then the team is going to eat itself. Like it's going to, it's going to self-destruct. And that's kind of what was happening is they were just like, they didn't have enough help and Bob. And it's like, well, you got a perfectly functional CS right there. You guys are just not doing what it takes to get him involved. And it's like, yeah, his ceiling is lower than everyone else's. Cause duh, like any, any intelligent evaluation was going to yeah. recognize that from the guy hundred percent. Like I'm, I, I recognize that his ceiling is low. He might surprise us and I, and I hope he does, but like his ceiling is lower than everyone else's, but can I get him to meet the bare minimum required standards to pull, pull the paycheck that he's pulling right now? That's, that's my goal. Yeah. If he exceeds that good for him. And I hope that that happens and I'm going to do everything I can to put him in an environment where that does happen. But right now, the goal is to make him a contributing member of the team, period. That's it. Meet the mission. So he's drawn a paycheck to be meeting the bare minimum required standards to be a third class petty officer in the United States Navy on a submarine. So what do we got to do to make that happen? And I think we got him there barely like kicking and screaming, but we got him there and it like it, but it took a long time and it took bringing him in to make him feel that community. Well, and once he, once you, you could see the shift, right? You could see kind of when that happened, when he started to feel like he was part of the team um, instead of just on Bro, the outside. I'm telling you, he's, he signed and, an email uh, that said not recommended for retention or advancement. And it flipped a switch in his head. I, I, and I was at the end of my rope. I was like, I don't think I can fix this anymore. <laughs> like I'm going to keep trying because yeah. I'm a cockeyed optimist, but, and it like, that's what flipped the breaker. I was just like, Holy crap. Really? It took that. But it was the first time he really believed that he was going to get sent home. Well, yeah. And, and it was interesting, like in my interactions with him, um, you know, and we talked at great length and I was, you know, admittedly and shamefully not the most patient individual with him, uh, when he probably needed he me to be, um, but, it, but it, you know, it is I, what it is. Man. I, and you know, the, fir- dude, the first, the first dude day. that I um, talked about on my first chief's tour, it very similar situation, and I did not handle it well. Like, I was, re- I was like off yeah. with his head, like, and I, I, it was, it was bad. Yeah, 
I just, you know, he, he never struck me as a type of person that was like, he did, he, he, you could tell that he wanted to do good. He yeah. wanted to be here. He wanted to, he wanted to do his best. And he was just, he, maybe he, you know, it was a, a level of competence or a level of training, or I, I, I don't know what, I don't know where the barrier was, but, um, I, I, I have a really good example of this too. I had a, I had an HN when I was the LPO at uh, the hospital I worked at. And, uh, you know, he was just, he just, for some reason could not yeah. get right. He could not do the, he just had a hard time doing the right thing. He would leave, he would basically leave his shift an hour early because he just couldn't see the point in staying an hour, you know, an extra hour. And it's like, that's not how that works. And, uh, you know, he was got in trouble a couple times with, uh, with the hospital security for smoking where he shouldn't have been smoking and, and, uh, so on and so forth. But despite all of these, you know, like he, we held him accountable. We, we wrote him counseling chits. We, he went to a DRB and despite all of this stuff, um, he would show up every day with a, with a freshly polished pair of boots. And it took me, it took a little, a little while for me to kind of identify that, um, and recognize that because, you know, you get so wrapped up and you you let emotions take charge and, and you're like, man, all this guy is doing is causing me more, right. more of a headache. And then you look down and it's like, wow, those are some polished, right. shiny boots. And you look at him and you're like, this guy yeah. wants to be here. He's just he's just operating on, you know, on his level of training or, or the pre the standards that he sure, had previously. 100%. And he unfortunately, um, made, made a mistake that right. we couldn't, yeah, he, yeah. he couldn't recover from. Um, and yeah. And there was like nothing we could do, but at his captain's mast, when the the captain asked us for input, I said, he's, he made a mistake. He wants to be here. I really don't have, I don't have anything negative. You, you generally don't want to say anything negative at those things either. Um, if you don't have anything nice to say, right. you should probably not say anything. It's like a, it's like a reference when person left on uh, less than positive terms. But um, I was like, Hey, this, this person wants to be here. I think that if they had not made this mistake, they probably would have, would have been salvageable. And um you know, I, I wasn't asking for leniency. I was just saying, yeah. I was just telling the truth. Like this, this person has a hist, it does have a history of uh, poor behavior and, and poor performance. However, I, I would not chalk that up to, I, I wouldn't completely um, chalk that up to a, a lack of um, a lack of care on his part or, or, or that I think he just, that was the standard and you know, whatever your, whatever the standard is, is where, sailors are going to operate yeah some sailors yeah and it, it was it was like his background and context that probably hadn't quite been overcome to to get him to uh, like assimilate essentially uh and, and adjust to because the navy's the navy can be culture shock i think for a lot of people um when they first come in so all right yeah so to summarize i mean we like talking through character and competence like I always feel like we left things unsaid because <laughs> there's so much to talk about when you're tackling giant topics like character and competence and the same thing. But, um, Oh yeah. They're incredibly yeah. broad and, and vague and not, not necessarily vague, but like they're, they're really, really yeah. broad. Like yeah. how do you summarize? You and, there, and there's so many like ways to apply know. it to being a chief and leading, leading your juniors, peers and seniors. It's like, geez, it's like there's, I could, I could do volumes on just character and competence. So, 
the big part for me is understanding that how those two things relate to being a good chief. And they seem obvious, like it's like a simple, not easy thing. Like character and competence are going to are going to be a huge part of your your credibility as a chief and your ability to establish and build trust and get get a team to follow you. And uh, a huge part of that, too, I think, is is the authenticity that is required to do all of those things. Like you got to mean it when you do all these things. Sailors will see right through it if you don't. Like if you're just trying to fake the trust buildings process, or you're trying to fake caring and community building, like they're going to know. Super obvious. Um, highly encourage everybody to get navigating the seven seas. I'll put a link in the description so you can click on it and go straight to Amazon to pick that book up. Um, there may be a way as well. There used, there's a library function on my Navy portal where you can get certain books for free. Uh, I don't know if this book's on there, but it's worth checking out there if you don't want to spend the money. Uh, and then a lot of like, it's, I pretty positive it's on the CNO's reading list and those a lot of commands have those in a dusty corner in a locker somewhere where you can just grab a hard copy of the book and read it uh, for free so because uh, those are shipped out by a naval entity I forget I had it shipped to the the a school when I was there and got the whole the whole reading list available for the for the office but a lot of commands have those and they don't really realize it and they're just on a random dusty bookshelf in a corner somewhere so just ask around look around you might run into it a lot of ships have a ship's library where you can just go get this particular book but yeah i highly recommend checking it out it's by melvin g williams senior and junior so senior was the the cook master chief and then uh admiral williams was the junior uh any save rounds or alibis doc i got nothing thanks for having me on all right. Uh, in summary, as always, I'm going to read the excerpt from the creed that this lesson plan focused on. Our intent was to impress upon you that challenge is good, a great and necessary re- reality which cannot mar you, which in fact strengthens you. In your future as a chief petty officer, you will be forced to endure adversity far beyond what has thus far been imposed upon you. You must face each challenge and adversity with the same dignity and good grace you have already demonstrated. So when you're exploring character and competence, particularly getting through adversity, it takes a lot of character to be a good steward of the chief petty officer mess when you're faced with adversity. Like it, it's it's real easy to, to be uh, the to meet the mission vision guiding principles and to be a strong chief petty officer when everything's going great, (laughs) when the seas are calm and smooth and the sun is out and wind is at your back. It's easy to do those things uh, and strive towards your best possible version of yourself as a chief. When everything's going great, it's when you endure adversity far beyond what has thus far been imposed upon you, both in your career and during the initiation season you're going to you're going to experience things and i say this a lot you're going to experience things that it's hard to explain and those challenges and adversity are going to leave a mark you will not get out of this experience as a chief petty officer in the united states navy without scars and i'm not saying they won't be worth it because everyone i got sure is but you need to be focused on getting through those challenges and the adversity and the ridiculous mind bending stress that can come as a result with dignity and good grace. The reason for that is that stewarding, that stewardship 
and ownership of the chief petty officer mess and the default level of trust and credibility that you will have by donning the uniform of a chief on day one. You, you as an individual do not start at zero. You carry with you the credibility and trust that the mess has for better or worse, wherever we are on that day that you enter it. So it's very, very important that you're cognizant of that at all times and that you're ensuring that you're competent, you're ensuring that you're demonstrating your character, that you're accomplishing, conquering these challenges and and wading through this adversity with dignity and good grace, that you're being a good steward of that trust so that all the chiefs that come after you have that default credibility and trust and that it's it's in a good place that the mess is in good shape when they enter it because that default credibility and trust when i enter the room as a chief is important i either have to overcome the adversity of earning the trust of sailors that would otherwise have just default trusted me because we were being good stewards of the chief's mess because we're not or i enter the room as a chief and they're like oh it's thank god chief's here now you know now he can help us or she can help us. And that default level of credibility and trust just happens. And I build on that as an individual and while I'm creating my t- and building and fostering my team, et cetera. But that it's very important that you're cognizant of that at all times. As always, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit or get involved in the sub on Reddit. D guts podcast. Let us know what you need. Let us know if you have questions, comments, concerns, and especially feedback on the Teaching to the Creed project. <laughs> it was a big thing that we took on and we wanted to add the supplement to the training and perhaps even in an emergency <laughs> like remote situation in the COVID pandemic environment, uh, a tool to remotely facilitate it uh, in in one way or another. Uh, just to help people out and and create an extra piece so that if you are stuck at home or you're restricted or you're roaming or you're you can't come into the office or whatever, uh, it adds a little an- another layer, another tool that will uh, create a little more robust and in-depth training. So let us know what you think of it, uh, how you feel about it and how we can be better. Really appreciate that. Also, like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms for all the things for podcasts, social media, everything. It lets people know the tools out there for them to leverage. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't give up the ship.